Hey there. If you would like to support this network, you can go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv and uh, look at the number of tiers available to you and what you get at those tiers. See what will fit into your life and uh, help us out. If you can, it is really appreciated. I can explain Patreon more if you want me to, but uh, I don't think that's necessary. Go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Thank you. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch, our monthly uh, Q&A roundup, listener response, game announcement podcast. Yeah, where we're going to uh, A, your cues, we're going to expound upon your topics, and then uh, read your thoughts on uh, Hitman 3, Roller Coaster Tycoon, and Metal Gear Rising. Yeah, yeah, and uh, announce what we're doing uh, in July. Koi boy, this year is creeping up. Yeah, you have to skip to the end. You have to skip to a random series of syllables. If you've been playing the, the ARG, episode. you will know what time codes to go to. And if uh, not, and the first word we're going to put in is the. So up, update your the, code sheets now. The <laughs> the the. The um, yeah, thanks everybody for uh, writing in. And uh, just as a reminder, if you would like to write in questions or prompts, uh, you can do so by being a patron. If you go to patreon.com slash duckfeed TV, look out for that post. Mm-hmm. Um, I will go ahead and get us started here with a uh, question kind of uh, topic thing. Boy, this is formatting in a weird way. Who asked <laughs> this? I need okay. to like, <laughs> I can't zoom down, I can't scroll smoothly. <laughs> Oh, weird. Yeah. No. So, so this is a, th- th- this is just something interesting that somebody put in that I, they, that they put in as a potential long form prompt, but it's just, it's just useful data. So we have Andrew C who says in your pathologic Andrew. episode, you mentioned that playing uh, the game uh, made you excited about games that come from context outside of the U S or Japan. Uh, that particular dichotomy. Uh, what are some games you found uh, that explored the context of their origin in an interesting way or shed light on where they came from? Uh, in case you find the data interesting, here's where the WAF games you've covered are from. And we have a big, we've got a, like a big list. So like, I didn't know that we did, uh, let's see here, three or four games out of <laughs> uh, out of uh, Sweden. Uh, yeah. didn't, didn't know Divinity Original Sin was from Belgium. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- this is this is interesting in terms of like so so it's one of those things where something can be from a country and then it can kind of be culturally from a country. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Like I'm not so so for example, um Call of Whereas the Gunslinger was developed in Poland, according to the you know, this data I haven't double checked, but I don't mm-hmm. feel like it's doing anything with that. Yeah, like that's a neat game, but it it just feels like it's a, you know, a, a middle tier shooter with a cool gimmick. 
mm-hmm. continuing the, this brand name. Whereas, you know, something like Disco Elysium, which is from Estonia and is really informed by that, mm-hmm. or something like Frostpunk, which is kind of informed by that uh, feeling of oppression yeah. that tends to come from Eastern European games yeah that, that that tends to come out from there or or like um uh also from poland would be um witcher 3 which is informed by the folklore uh from that area yeah. right yeah and there are games that i think don't uh that are on here that kind of invoke that and then also games that don't mm-hmm. you know or that do and games that don't yeah you know so i don't really feel like hitman is a particularly like denmarkian game yeah you know uh but it's it is interesting to see Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like when we were talking about that with pathologic, at least what, what I meant was more, um, evoking something other than like a traditional Western or Eastern aesthetic Yes, that we have in games, you know, like, uh, at the bottom of this list, it's like Japan, 105 games, us, the rest, <laughs> you know, like they're, they're by far the, uh, you know, the lion's share mm-hmm. and, uh, you can, you can feel like, I feel like you can feel that, that difference more more than anything um anything outside of that is what i want but i will uh, you know it's not like ssx tricky feels particularly canadian to me mm-hmm. or says anything about canada right you know? uh the fact that la noir comes from australia i think is more surprising than anything just because it yeah it feels so american aside from getting that one uh rank in the military wrong well, there's uh, um, a lot of games like this where it is another country's kind of take mm-hmm. on something. Like, the, the this answer to this wouldn't be the same if we came from another country. It's because we're American and we are cultural colonialist, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just, you know, yeah. the whole country plays this club cranium or the whole mm-hmm. world. Yeah, like, whether they want to or not. You know, yeah, we, we export this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of these games are going to be influenced by that and in that that realm, whether we like it or not. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I appreciate you putting together, together that data. It's neat to see it laid out like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll take that. I was going to read that one and then I had a problem with my Google Doc. Mm-hmm. So I'll read Ryan's. Uh, recently, a sequel was announced to a 34-year-old Famicom exclusive, uh, Getsu Fumaden, and there's an upcoming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game that is based on the 80s cartoon series and explicitly a spiritual successor to Turtles in Time. Are there any games from around 25 years or more ago that you would like to see revisited and enhanced for modern sensibilities? My own answer would be something that looked like the Soul Blazer, Soul Blazer uh, Illusion of Gaia Terranigma trilogy. Yeah. Uh, you know, same like act razor. Like I would love to see something that does something with act razor. Yeah. Um, um, I think it'd be pretty cool to see, uh, Capcom do like a, uh, uh, like a faux retro, uh, sweet home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like a, like an, or like a resident evil D make or something like that. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that gets Fumaden, uh, game, I think is the game that, the Ninja Turtles got reskinned as, mm. um, if I recall. Uh, and it's really interesting that they both uh, are coming out. Yeah. So, yeah, I would, I would love to see that. Or like, and and we've seen a bunch of these. Like, I um, it was at the remake of A Boy and His Blob. Uh, Boomblocks has a bunch of Rampart DNA mm-hmm. in it. You know, like we've seen some of these, and this is a cool thing the games do. Yeah. That I am, I am down for. Like Fallout became Wasteland. 
you know, Wasteland became Fallout, became Wasteland, <laughs> you know, in a way. Like, we, we, we do see this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, prey to system shock, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Then we're coming up on the point where. Are taken. Yeah, we're coming up on the point where stuff that does not feel like it uh, is from 25 years ago is from 25 years ago as well. Mm-hmm. So probably not even taking some stuff into account. Baby's kids for yes. <laughs> Give me the spiritual successor, baby's grandchildren. <laughs> like <laughs> the next baby generation. <laughs> yeah. Every to every generation is born a baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, let's see here. Uh Mark says, Do you think that the switch is getting a little too long in the tooth? I love that system, but more and more it seems like there have been performance uh or porting issues that really hamper the experience for some games. I got burned on the Switch version of Bloodstain and ended up buying it again on the PC. Even first-party games like Link's Awakening suffer from uh, laggy gameplay and some frames per second issues. Uh, do you think that we've hit the point of diminishing returns from my favorite couch bed system by now? Couch slash bed. Uh, I'm running into that. There was a uh, nitty game that I saw on PC uh, called Alchemy Simulator that looked pretty fun. And then I saw that mm-hmm. they had a... They had a a, a a switch version. I was like, "Ah, oh, dang! Let me grab that bad boy," uh, and I, I I got it. And the frame rate was unplayable. Not like you know, oh, this is locked at forty five, so I can't do my frame jabs or whatever. But like slideshow kind of kind of problems. Yeah. Just walking around a little room and stuff. I'm like, well, that sucks. I'm glad I only paid like eight bucks for this. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a four year old system by now and it was already pretty underpowered, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can, I theoretically can see it. I haven't had the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like everything that I have played on it has been fine. Yeah. Um, and that could be just an element of like what, uh, you know, what I've poked at, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure that there are things where I can have problems with it, but so far it's been so good. Yeah. Uh, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I One of the things I think about with that, though, is that I want everything to have the Steam, like, this runs like shit, let me get my money back. Yes. Thing, like, I understand that people abuse that, and I want mm-hmm. systems in place to stop people from abusing that, but the times I bought something on Steam where it just, like, didn't straight up work, I was mm-hmm. very grateful for not just feeling like a, you know, a dope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yep. um, yeah, theoretically, yeah, I'm not looking forward to whatever they come out with next because I don't want to buy it. Like, you know, it's just going to be another $500 thing I have to buy. Yeah. Uh, so that's weirdly discouraging. And mm-hmm. I don't know what they'll do in terms of like backwards compatibility or library stuff. So like, you know, I have my 3DS sitting around. I don't play it very often, but I have this big investment in terms of software on it. Mm-hmm. So if there are certain games that are kind of locked to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that if I want to replay it and eventually you just start acquiring systems and with handheld, it's, it's relatively easy to just bust out whichever one you're in the mood for. But, uh, there, I find that process fatiguing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked, I talked about having, you know, how many generations of PlayStation and I could have justified hooked up to my TV <laughs> at once, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, and the, uh, it, it's, I don't want to have that just on all of my fronts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, to to that point on the uh, on the PS4, PS5 thing, the your PS5 will run everything your PS4 can. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I it was when I was thinking about putting out the PS3 gotcha. um, for Ratchet and Clank. Gotcha. You know, was when that popped up and my PS4 is still hooked up there because I just haven't unhooked it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it's also like the fact that every time I move, I'm hauling around um, a PS3, a PS2, and a PS1. Mm-hmm. Um, largely, you know, for work <laughs> reasons, in case anything pops up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I, I basically like I want console generations to outrun emulation by like one generation, Meow. not two. You know. Uh, like by the time whatever the follow up to the Switch comes out, I want to be able to uh, easily emulate Wii U. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah, In certain games, yes, for sure, uh, but otherwise, no. And Nintendo has not necessarily yeah. handled uh, moving your content gracefully in the past. So it, it's been horrible. Yeah, you know, like the kind of surgery you have to do on a fucking on handheld a yeah. to do it. Yeah, to like. <laughs> It's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really stupid. Yeah, like, that, that shit sucks. Just using yeah. a little spudger to pry to pry the back of a 3ds off, and hoping you don't snap snap it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just absolutely ludicrous. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Popo Fashosho asks, uh, "Do you guys think remasters, remakes, and reimaginings are a good substitute for video game preservation? I want everyone to have access to old games in the original format, but retro games become less accessible as time goes on. Is it that important to play Abe's Odyssey with scan lines and Gaussian blur, or should we all just play the remaster? I've been watching a lot of Baumgartner restorations on YouTube, and it makes me think. Um, why not have both? Like, it's definitely no substitution. Mm-hmm. You know, I like having both because, uh, you know, things not getting locked to a system. Like we talked about that, you know, in terms of the demon souls remake and in general, uh, you know, I think it's convenient mm-hmm. to have things, uh, move up to it. But also I want hardcore preservation as well. Like they're separate aims to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like thanks to saints, like Frank Cifaldi and people on the internet, like a lot of that stuff is getting preserved. It's just not being preserved in a commercial platform right it is it is there for you it is there theoretically um you know and something that i've i've run into is like um having a chipped ps2 now and just being able to download and burn uh like any disc for that kind of kind of gets rid of Mm -hmm. that i think that as as people figure out how to crack hardware um that is going to be a little bit easier as well i mean when it looked like the um uh, the PlayStation store for PS3 and PS Vita were going down. Like the internet was flooded or at least my channels of the internet were flooded with like, okay, here are, here's all the crack tools. Here's how to find the, like the ISOs that you need uh, to get on here. Like, and so like it's moved beyond, like I think anything that's being remastered, I'm not necessarily worried about the original going away. It's more the marginalized stuff that is my concern for, um, or more the marginal stuff that is my concern for preservation. Uh, you know, things like ephemeral online experiences, MMOs, uh, like, I don't know, WiiWare, (laughs) just like stuff that has no chance of being, you know, taken elsewhere. And now you just can't get it anymore, um, except unofficially. Um, yeah. So remasters and stuff don't necessarily encroach on my, on my anxieties about stuff going away. Yeah. We, we talked about that, uh, in regards at some, on some show at some time period, you know, I don't, I don't have any memory, but mm-hmm. the, uh, of like the, the series of cell phone games in the resident evil series. Yeah. That was like a, it you was know? like, it was in the preamble to, uh, <laughs> to do an adaptation to K where we talked about, we talked about how angry, angry oh, were with yeah. Apple. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that shitty movie. Yeah. Um, or that the airport fighting zombies. Um, you know, that that kind of thing where like Apple got rid of those, but then also tons of them 
I can't find also because they didn't come to the country. Mm-hmm. And there's a, like an element where you can't get, like I recognize that I'm not going to be able to get everything. Mm-hmm. And the the truth of the matter is like, let's say all that stuff was magically available. Like I wasted one of my genie wishes on it. <laughs> and <laughs> would, I, would I be just like chomping at the bit to sit down and play that cell phone Resident Evil game? Probably not. I just, it feels wrong to have it just disappear. Yes. You know, it's not practical. It's not a practical want for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I if I was smarter with my genie wish, I would have wished for a screenshot let's play of it. Yeah. Which yeah. also arguably would have been a waste of a wish. <laughs> I mean, it, it depends. <laughs> is it like a good genie who can do wishes? Or is it like a shitty or genie? Or is it a good let's play? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it depends. How good is the screenshot let's play? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, like no matter if it was no matter what genie it was, I would end up being turned into some kind of sentient screenshot. Let's play. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd get no, wish you, you, you'd be you'd be trapped in one. Um, yeah, you know, just banging banging on the frame, begging Bring people to let you out. <laughs> Bring me red pages. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, I think this is me. Uh, Chris uh, asks, uh, how do you feel about chase sequences in horror games? Is it something that's still exciting like it was back with Amnesia? Or is it starting to get played out with everyone adding them in, like with newer Resident Evil uh, and even a walking simulator like Layers of Fear 2? I'm fine with them. I mean, some of the shines come off the apple, but I think that they're part of a balanced horror diet. Yeah, I, I would agree. They're definitely less special. I remember when we uh, talked about Dark Corners of the Earth, like the third episode of the show, mm-hmm. um, the part where you get chased by the Shoggoth felt very fresh, and the part where you get chased in, in Innsmouth mm-hmm. felt very uh, very fresh at the time, and like pursuit as a mechanic was something that like I remember really latching onto as like a neat, new kind of fresh idea. Yeah, And now, you know, it is kind of part of the toolbox. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that happens, right? Like anything yeah. that's neat and new will eventually get incorporated. And sometimes, you know, the one in, in uh, Resident Evil Village is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, like they, they, they're still, you can still do, do that very well, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So like so. the bar for it being like a wow thing, like, oh God, that was, that's really memorable, keeps on rising. Um, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that it should go away. Not everything can be the mm-hmm. best, uh, the best version of what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, connected user asks, uh, I loved hearing that Cole's recently found a pinball arcade close to home. I had a similar experience just before the pandemic. I cannot describe the feeling of realizing that I am a grown ass man in his late thirties and that I can afford getting 80 quarters from the change machine, three games for $2. No problem. It feels so good not to worry, uh, as much about draining the ball. I wanted to hear if you had any insight or experiences that you could share. Do you feel that you're, you have improved? Do you have a favorite machine? Monster Bash is mine. Do you have any tips for new players? Keep up the good work and keep having fun. Yeah, I don't have any tips for any new players because I fucking suck at pinball. <laughs> well, I also, I haven't really played for a year yeah. as well. Like, you, know, you and I both like kind of getting into pinball happened before the, the pandemic. Yeah, but we had around... like a good solid six months of being like, Hey, pinball. And then mm-hmm. like immediately no pinball for you for a year and a half. <laughs> yep. Just yank the rug out. Yeah. I only yeah. played pinball for the first time in a year and a half uh, this past Friday. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was kind of a kind of it was it was a good experience. It was fun. But yeah, uh, like, you know, 
he mentioned the connected user mentions uh monster bash that's a fun table i think i played that for the first time today I, or not you know the, hmm. not today but this past friday uh that's cool it's about it's about monsters like universal um uh movie monsters forming a band like you have to put frankenstein yeah. together so he can play bass for you or something it's also the concept of uh beetlejuice's spectacular rock and roll review <laughs> is all of the universal monsters coming out and playing uh black eyed peas covers cool. while beetlejuice hits on the audience let's do so, get it started <laughs> <laughs> like hey frank and hey bride of frankenstein let's get it started uh, i'm a horny demon um the uh i i like i like monster bash a lot mm-hmm. uh the uh my theater of magic is my favorite pinball table but i haven't played since the last time i answered that question yeah has your favorite yeah. table changed cool no i still like medieval madness uh i think that like i that is half it being a really good uh machine and half like me for the what was it duck fest that we did the, was that mm-hmm. what we did the pinball episode on yes. during yeah like that was one that i put a lot of time into and like came to understand it um yeah like medieval madness is really good because like it's super easy to get modifiers because Merlin's magic bag is like right there, like on the table, you know, it's like, so you can just start those modes, but like there's other stuff like the second Elvira table was really good. Um, the, uh, Friday the third, not not Friday the 13th nightmare on Elm street, uh, machine is really good. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, no, just, I think you like landed on the hint, which is just, you, you had to put in some time. Yeah. To like, like, I don't, yeah. Yeah, pin- pinball isn't immediately evident to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe for other people, maybe it is. You can just look at a board without playing it and be like, okay, I see what's going on. Yeah. For me, I really need to sit down and have it in my hands to even begin to understand it. Yeah. And yeah, with, and that's coming from a place of absolutely zero expertise. Like right, I, I right. Too am pretty shitty at pinball. It it like it took a lot of a lot of like messing around for me to understand that like no I'm not just like I'm terrible at pinball but I'm not so terrible at pinball. Uh, it's like yes indeed the Simpsons party uh, table is actually really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. and you wouldn't expect it to be for a Simpsons table, but it just is, and that's kind of not yeah. your fault if that drains right away for you. You know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting that like the idea of uh, curating a pinball collection, you know, if you were an insane billionaire or whatever, mm-hmm. and having them organized by difficulty. Yeah, you know, like there there could be a a, a setup pinball onboarding process. Oh yeah, and there just kind of isn't. Like, hi, you know? welcome to my airplane hangar. That is the pinball curriculum. Yeah, yeah. Like, and by the end of this this unit, you know, you will be a a, a pinball apprentice. Mm-hmm. You know, go forth into the world. Yeah, and make babies that will also be okay at pinball through <laughs> my weird natural selection process. Yes. Also, uh, we're going to be playing an audio tape that will indoctrinate you into believing in Lamarckian evolution. Yeah. You know, and and eventually, this is preparing for an apocalypse. I can't tell you about, but I'm sure it's true. <laughs> Uh, in which uh, a new generation of pinball wizards will be necessary Mm -hmm. to fight off the uh, Karakulons. Yeah. You know? Um, Mark says, uh, do you think that the tail end of survival horror games need the empowerment phase uh, when you either get some overpowered weapon for a short time or you're just stocked up on resources? Personally, I always enjoy getting to turn the tables on the enemies for a bit. uh, But do you think keeping up the tension of those limited resources right up to the ending makes for a better horror game? 
Um, yeah, what do you think, Cole? You, you've played more survival horror games than I have. Yeah. Uh, I, when, when, when that works, it really works. When it doesn't work, you get something like um, uh, Silent Hill Homecoming, where like the last, the very last age has you like running through an underground cult compound, just straight up fighting humans in mining suits. Mm. Of like, okay, you're not yeah. fighting monsters anymore. These are like they're just just dudes who will you know shoot at you with guns and stuff, and you've got a gun too. Like that last minute shift needs to be handled extremely deftly. Um, for a more recent example, like you know, compare the empowerment phase of Resident Evil Eight versus the empowerment phase of Resident Evil Seven. Right? Yeah. Not going to spoil RE Eight, but like we've talked about RE Seven, the salt mine, and that is pretty bad. Right. Yeah. You know, primarily because uh, they didn't have like the enemies to actually make it good. <laughs> you well, know, and, and the combat in that game feels worse. Yeah. Than yeah. it doesn't eight. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's interesting in classic survival horror games, the way this works, because it's kind of dependent on how you've been playing. Yeah. You know, getting to the end boss of a Resident Evil game and be like, okay, it's finally time to bust out the Magnum mm-hmm. is really satisfying to me. Yeah. But you could very easily have not done that if, you know, you don't know to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really interesting to me. Like, this could be this thing where you have to scrape by and, you know, end up using the handgun to finish off you yeah. know, the Nemesis. Or you can stomp them because you were incredibly conservative with your Magnum and, you know, yeah. explored really that, well that's a you know a reward uh, for the kind of play that you're doing yeah and that part, when it does that it feels good to me so it can either yeah. feel good like in terms of just in the hands it feels good like it does mm-hmm. in re8 and it doesn't uh you know it, it gets rid of the tension but it ends up feeling just like a fun video game yeah you know, it's, it's not time for tension now mm-hmm. or it can feel like a reward because you've engaged with survival horror as a genre now yeah. and you know like hey man these acid rounds I'm going to find seven of these in the entire game. Mm-hmm. So I got to make them count. Yeah. Um, I think that actually my favorite version of this is have your first run be what you just described, where you can, mm-hmm. you know, like you've earned the good boy points to go and do the stomp. if you saved up the acid rounds? Um, or uh, you get the new game plus with the super good items, the infinite ammo rocket mm-hmm. launcher, the, um, uh, the chainsaw and silent Hill two uh, things like that. Uh, things that you can buy in uh, in RE4, RE7, and or, or RE6 and RE8, you know, um, mm-hmm. give you know, giving you the uh, the ability, the lightsaber in Silent Hill Three. It's kind of like, oh yeah, you can like do a third of a next run just going through and like slashing everybody to bits because yeah, yeah. you've earned it, you know, by the way you yeah. play the game or just because yeah, we want you to have a little bit of fun now with this as a video game as opposed to a scary experience. Well, you've, you've earned it, and also the impact is never going to be the same, right. knowing what's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, so that kind of like privation, even if you were just playing normally, you know what you're preparing for. Mm-hmm. So you're just, you know, survival horror games are something where it's it's a rare genre. I actually don't know how rare this is, but it's something you're <laughs> meant to replay, but every subsequent play will be very different than your first. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Nothing will be you know. the, the exact same as your first at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Greg asks, uh, I'm doing this question just as I'm just about to play Mass Effect Legendary Edition for the first time, and it struck me that this is the first time in a long time that I have paid full price for a AAA game on pre-order. Last time I did this was Fallout 4, and before that Skyrim, so it's not common. In the 90s and 2000s, however, I used to pre-order games all the time at full price. Nowadays, I'm just like, why should I rush to buy this when my backlog is already so large, and if I'm patient, the game will be on sale in a few months on Steam. But there must still be tons of people paying full price for game is day one so is this still a common thing and i'm just a cheap bastard or are there people in my situation uh which i then realized that the game uh might someday cause a game industry decline or decline or correction um there might be more people in my situation which might cause that decline or correction yeah how many games do you guys buy full price day one in 2021 i buy a fair um, amount of them but mostly so i can comment on them for the level at least in the uh in the first you know, play in the first couple of hours or so. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, not not as much as I did back when I worked like at a game store or whatever. And it was a constant, uh, you know, uh, let's say attractive nuisance. Right. Yeah. I, I very rarely buy something brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I talked about this on the show for a long time, but like having a gaming PC basically means video games are free. They're not exactly free, but like everything will get, you know. A lot of cases they are free. So thing, mm-hmm. you know, like the the copy of GTA Five I have, Epic gave me. Mm-hmm. I still haven't played it, you know, which also tells you something. But like, I didn't have to pay <laughs> any money for it, right? Um, you know, I, the things that I buy new are pretty rare. Um, I had to be pretty excited about them, so I ended up buying RE Eight mm-hmm. new. I bought the Demon Souls remake new. Yeah. I'll buy FromSoft new. Uh, but ex- you know, Hitman Three, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's pretty rare, and I never really pre order because I don't. I, there's something about that that feels gross. Like they're trying to like, you know, entice me. I feel like with, I'm giving them digital I'm, garbage. I'm giving them a an interest free loan is what that feels like. That's exactly what you're doing, man. Yeah. And like they're just like, well, well, yeah, but you get the the legacy pack, so you get to wear the legacy fanny pack. And I'm like, man, fuck this. Like, I don't know. I feel like in the old west, you could shoot somebody for offering you a legacy fanny pack. <laughs> like I, I will duel you for giving me Aiden's iconic hat like fuck you <laughs> fuck you i will shoot you at noon that's a, and that's the sheriff a, won't stop me that's a good idle thumbs reference you have there <laughs> well no no aiden's like kind of cap is i i wasn't i mean that was i remember when i lived it oh yeah I, I don't, i'm not i'm not a idle thumbs guy like i i didn't i didn't get I, I, aiden's iconic cap i didn't play watch underscore dogs but i remember reading about aiden's like iconic cap right right it's just a hat yeah uh, you know and it's like i don't man who are you and why, how dare you? You know, this shit pisses me off so much. <laughs> like, it's like a question, just, it, what it gives feels, you the right? <laughs> yeah, it's very fake. It feels yeah. so like grody and fake and the idea of like, oh no, but I get a different color for my spear and I'm like, who are you? Yeah. Like, what, what adult are you? What What's going on? <laughs> like, the, the only thing yeah. that I could think of that would really make it would be like if I was if I was the kind of person who would stay up until it unlocked at midnight and I wanted to have it pre like preloaded so I could start right away. But like as it stands, when a game comes out, you know, I, like if I want to play it the day that it, the, the the day that it comes out, if I am if I'm even going to, like when when Resident Evil when Resident Evil Eight came out, I just woke up early, drove to Best Buy. You know, did the curbside pickup, came home, and it installed while I made breakfast. Yeah. And you were none the poorer for it. Right. Like, I, I you know, I, I know I say this a lot, but, like, hype is such a weird alien thing to me. Mm-hmm. To the degree, like, man, I have to play this the second it comes out. I'm so hyped. Yeah. And then whenever I've done that, and you actually said I'm playing, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a video game. Mm-hmm. 
you know like, what was i expecting like yeah it's a, it's a cool opening cut scene and then some cool moments and it's i'm playing a video game but the the ceiling is not heaven, yeah yeah you know on that like the, you know i love video games but mm-hmm. fuck man yeah Chill. um i think pe- fewer people are, are are absolutely doing this just because there are so many fewer midnight launches than there were 10 years ago I mean, mm-hmm. midnight, yeah. midnight launches, you know, speaking of like Skyrim or whatever, like those used to be a gigantic thing, you know, lined up, you know, outside, like from inside the mall to outside the mall to get that game when I worked that midnight. Yeah. And then now it just doesn't it's, really happen. It's a weird thing because I mean, part of the reason why I find this alienating is because gaming is such a solitary experience uh-huh. for me because I, I understand midnight movies. Yes. You know, like really wanting to see a movie and then like having that big communal experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like I understand that, like I, I get the appeal of that, but the idea of that and then going home and playing Skyrim, like, yes, you get to go online and talk about it, but if you're not going to be a dick, you're not going to be talking about like spoiler stuff for it. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be like, oh man, <laughs> you know, it, it just, just variations of like, oh boy, it's a, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, just like weird kind of empty, excited language. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, even in like I, if you but, have a group text, yeah. it's like, oh, have you gotten to the thing? Yeah, I've gotten to the thing. Oh, I haven't gotten to the thing yet. Don't don't spoil it for don't me. Don't tell me about the thing. Don't yeah. talk about the thing. <laughs> okay, you know, because and the people who I know who do a lot of pre-ordering and stuff are people, you know, like you talk about the level or Will will get things when they're new because he wants to have something to talk about for work, mm-hmm. you know, to write about. Uh, but I, I know very few people in real life yeah. who, who engage with that, hmm. so... I don't know if that's going to cause an industry decline or not. The industry is doing pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, still plenty of money going not on. Morally, but well, yeah, of course. Yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> uh, do you want to move on from game quest- uh, questions? I, I want to answer Dylan's because I think it was interesting. Okay. Uh, and he asked me directly of me. Okay. Um, well, I will yeah, ask it to you. I'd be happy to move on. Yeah. I'll ask it to you uh, from Dylan uh, who says, I saw Gary talking about modal play and the new Resident Evil game, uh, Resident Evil Village. Uh, and I was immediately intrigued. As a kid, horror games used to turn me off because they were too scary. Now I find most of them boring uh, and rarely frightening. However, the way Gary was talking about this type of play uh, seemed antithetical to how I usually hear you talk about modality in games. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what makes Village different uh, and makes the variety work for Resident Evil, but not 99% of other games. Then they say PS 60 frames per second Bloodborne. Um, I I think that they... Oh, there's a patch for 60 frames per second Bloodborne? Fan patch, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I I thought about this a lot because I realized, like, yeah, modal play is something that I find obnoxious. Mm -hmm. And I think this was a, a problem with my vocabulary. Because I was talking about Resident Evil 4 having, you know, modal play where it's like you're in the trap area, you're in the sniping area, you're in the village escape. But that's more like theme yeah. than mode. Like a level having a theme isn't really modal play. What I think about when I think about modal play is changing not what's around you, but like your verb set. Yeah. You know, almost. So like, you know, my my poster child example for that is always uh, Tomb Raider 2013. Mm-hmm. Which is like, it's time to climb, and then you get up to the top, and it's like, oh, there are waist-high things. I better be stealthy. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if you don't, it's like, you, you die. You know, it is it is time for a whole new set of mechanics. Mm-hmm. The reason why... Uh, so that is something that I do think generally sucks. I would much rather just have control of my avatar and be able to approach situations how I like. Yeah. 
you know, like you, you can have a theme like in Resident Evil 4, maybe this is the time for sniping, but you don't have to snipe, mm-hmm. you know, like you can do whatever you want during that. Um, I, I value that a lot because I value player expression. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why it works for me in Resident <laughs> Evil 8, which we'll talk about at length at some point, um, is because I have such affection for each of those individual modes because yeah. they're all callbacks to Resident Evil shit. Mm-hmm. So like when it's in the village and it's not, you know, it's not as cool as Resident Evil 4, it's not as fun, but it's really meant to remind you of Resident Evil 4. Mm-hmm. Um, I like being reminded of Resident Evil 4. Yeah. So that feels great. And, you know, when you're in the 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 castle and it's like, oh, this is just like a Resident Evil mm-hmm. game or, you know, and when you're in the factory at the end and it's like a bigger, more complicated, mm-hmm. you know, nonlinear Resident Evil game, like all the things it's evoking are things I really like. Yeah. So I'm happy to be in those. They're also longer. The thing with like a Tomb Raider 2013 is like it's one or uh, The Last of Us, mm-hmm. you know, it's you're you're switching between them very quickly in Resident Evil 8 the game is split up into like six sections. Right. And each one is a different kind of theme, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I, hopefully that elaborates a little bit. Like it's something I've been chewing on because it is something where, you know, I don't care about hypocrisy. Like I'm not worried like, Oh, Oh Gary, you said, I don't think Dylan is doing this. Like you said, modal play is bad, but now you say it's good. Interesting. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think Dylan's doing that, but it yeah. is something where modal isn't exactly the quite the right word because you know, I'm not against theme levels. Mm-hmm. It's more about what my character can do and the frequency with which you switch yeah. and how like heavily demarcated they are. Mm-hmm. And you know, if like <laughs> how many systems does it cut away from you when you're locked into one of these modes? Like, do they use them for interesting, you know, collisions between systems and things like that? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, the stuff yeah. that happens in RE8, I mean, with one huge exception, you still have, like, all of your verbs, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And that that's appealing to me. Yeah. Um, moving on to life questions mm-hmm. uh, here. Joseph asks, uh, how are you guys doing? How is your mental health and stuff? If that's, excuse me, if that's too personal, feel free not to answer. But even though I've never met you guys personally, I feel like you guys are my friends. Sorry if that's a little weird. I don't mean it to be! Exclamation point. Um, I love the interaction with the dispatches and look forward to them every month. Love the show and all the things you guys do. Thank you. Uh, also, I started playing RE6 for the first time and I'm looking forward to when you guys cover that game. Uh, also, feel free not to answer this if it's too long. What is your guys' favorite era of WAF? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really that's an interesting question. That's the thing I homed in on. Yeah. In I was like, oh, yeah, there are kind of eras of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, I'm glad that you started you playing doing, RE6. Oh yeah. Let's, let, let's do, let's do these in order. I'm doing okay. Uh, started doing some therapy again and, uh, started some new med- medication for attention problems and, uh, it's working mm-hmm. great after some, uh, rough onboarding with, uh, with new medicine. Always, uh, you know, when you start something, you, you, you get, uh, you get unintended side effects, but I think I've, I think I've hit, hit, hit a spot. I've like, it's starting to kick in and I'm not, uh, my stomach is not a disaster from it anymore. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm okay. Uh, also, you know, having some personal life shit that's going on, mm-hmm. but I'm getting through it. Cool. And, uh, yeah, well, you know, generally okay. Uh, comes and goes in terms of, of goodness and okayness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, also, yeah, RE6. I'm also looking forward to when we do that. It's not going to be this year. Nope. But I am, you know, at some point we will cover that. And I think that's, you know, I'm looking forward to revisiting it. That'll be the um, last non-Revelations, like, mainline RE game. Um, in the, yeah. I mean, along with 8 as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Revelations isn't, I wouldn't consider Revelations to be mainline. Yeah. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, not to disparage them. Like, yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter, but, you know, so it would be, then we'll have done the whole thing, which is cool. Yeah. Um, even though we've never done Resident Evil 1 pre GameCube remake. Shit, you're right. One, yeah. Which would, you know, I could see mm-hmm. the value in that because it is pretty different. It is. Um, do you have a favorite era of the show? I mean, we're always changing it to be more suitable. So I'm like really fond of this era right now, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We, we, it, the process of learning what we want the show to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and adjusting that based mm-hmm. on new information and then also just our changing selves, like never stepping in the same river twice. Yeah. Uh, you know, I generally think the show is as good as it ever is. Right. Um, every once in a while, We'll we'll do an episode where I feel like, oh, man, I, I feel like I could have been funnier during that or I could have been more energetic, mm-hmm. you know, and every once in a while we'll get a string of just like real like games that just lend themselves to really funny episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and as somebody who does the, the episodes, I know that other people listen to them and they get into them for reasons other than them being funny. But in terms of my enjoyment after we record, that's the thing that most highly correlates. Mm hmm. You know, like if, if I laughed a lot when you're recording, I'm generally pretty happy. Yeah. Um, but that isn't like an era thing that just kind of like, oh, we just happened to do, mm. you know, three pretty funny games in a row. Right. You know, like uh, it takes or not uh, it takes to like a way out <laughs> um, Magicka and then whatever the other co-op game we did. Oh, shit. That month. Oh. I remember that being pretty fun. Like, yeah. Pretty funny. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like that, that's kind of my favorite little micro eras, but in terms of era, like I always feel like we're, we're honing in on whatever's closest to what we want. Yeah. With this ever moving target. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I, I think that I also like this one now because I'm not working a day job where I have to fit in, you know, 20 hours of play a week in addition to, yeah. in addition to the show <laughs> and recording and stuff. So like, that's cool. That's that's a nice thing about the post 2018 era for me. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sam, uh, Sam asks, after losing my job to COVID last year, I decided to enroll back in school and pursue a different career path. However, after four semesters in, I came to the, the, to the conclusion that this new path was just not for me. Uh, it was gut-wrenching to force myself to quit after all that time that I had dedicated, but ultimately it worked out as I am way happier now and found a great new job. Congratulations. Um, yeah. My question for you is, have you ever had to quit something that you dedicated tons of time to, uh, such as school or a career, uh, and how did you deal with it? Yeah, that's a good good on you, Sam. Yeah. You know, like sunk cost fallacy, like I'm not like fallacy man who's constantly mm-hmm. like pointing out fallacies as if they end conversations, but <laughs> sunk cost fallacy is real. You know, uh, sunk cost fallacy was a big reason why I finished my degree, which just gave me more debt and I don't use it, mm-hmm. you know, and I regret it. Like, I wish I had just been like, you know what? This is fucking stupid. Yeah. Like, I don't, I'm not getting much out of this and I'm not, don't really want the jobs I would get from this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't have that perfect knowledge then, you know, but in retrospect. Yeah. Uh, and, and for me, like I, that was my kind of third run up at school. Like I, I went when I was uh, much younger, like when I was like 19 or 20. And then I also uh, tried to got a, went for a certification when I first moved out here mm-hmm. um, that I didn't end up finishing. And I got like 90% of the way to it. Mm. 
um, and stopped. And that was a real sunk cost feeling. But I was like, yeah, like looking into this, the kind of jobs I can get with this are too hard to get in this area without like moving mm-hmm. across country. I just moved out here. I don't want to move. Yeah. And I don't want to throw good money after bad. Um, so for me, like the way that I've dealt with that is just, uh, time because that's how all trauma and bad feels go away mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. The no. biggest example of this for me, um, was when I initially went to school, you know, fresh out of high school, um, went to UC, I started in computer science, um, cause I had this, just you know, this idea that I would be like, you know, smart programmer engineer guy. Cause I did good in high school science and math. And then I got to college science and math and i was like oh this actually isn't me at all actually yeah like this is this is hard this is different you know i think that maybe i was just really good at um let's say manipulating the lower ex- low expectations of high school uh mm-hmm. and it just wasn't great and so with a lot uh kind of swimming upstream uh against the demands of my family uh, and probably common sense. I switched over to uh, at the time it was called electronic media. Now you know nowadays it's called media production. Um, I switched over to that and still managed to finish my degree in four years, which was which was nice. Uh, yeah, but I just kind of like abandoned kind of this whole concept of myself <laughs> um, mm-hmm. as like smart 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 science guy uh, to do something more creative, and it was a gamble that paid off. Um, and that's kind of how I dealt with it by being lucky. I coped because I, because it ended up working out. Yeah. 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 And then it generally, like, I think, you know, there's tons of chance involved, Yeah, but you know, I think it is worth taking that risk because if you end up down a path and you can, you're like, I'm not going to like this path. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't like this. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a moral failing to make a decision without knowing that, yeah. you know, like you, you making that decision to, uh, go into engineering or, uh, you know, Sam's choice to go and do those semesters isn't a failing. He didn't mm-hmm. know exactly what it'd be like. He had a guess, Yeah, you know, and then he did more of it. He's like, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. Yeah. You know, there, there's a real, there's an urge for people to undervalue, um, you know, their own, hap- like not consider that as a, as a data point yeah. and think just purely objectively, like they're playing their game, like a game of life or like a game of risk <laughs> yeah. and they're not, you have to actually live every day that you're on earth. And, you know, if you want to stick with that thing because you've done, you know, four semesters of it, you have to do that every day. That's, yeah. that's relevant. And the fact that you wouldn't like that is relevant. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's the only factor, but it counts. You know, that, that shit counts. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for a long time, every job I took like paid less, mm-hmm. like I kept like downgrading my job because it was stuff like when I worked as a dispatcher for uh public safety, um, you know, it didn't, didn't like it mm-hmm. and switched to a job that was way easier, but paid significantly less, like almost half as much. Yeah. And it was like one of the better decisions I've ever made. You know, because it's just like, yeah, like I, I'm making good money and I put in this time and like, yeah, maybe if I keep doing this, I could advance mm-hmm. and work in different things. But I don't really like it. Yeah. You know what? It kind of ends the conversation in mm-hmm. some way. Like it's a really powerful bargaining chip if you just don't like what you're doing. Yeah. You know? 
So uh, Chris asks, uh, I'm getting married next year. Congratulations. And for my bachelor party, my best man is writing a special Call of Cthulhu tabletop campaign. I've never played before, but we talked about it a lot. And he told me when he told me I was kind of blown away. Originally, I didn't have a question and was going to share this random thing about me. Instead, I do have a question. Uh, when have you used gaming as part of a party or celebration? Have you ever had a gaming-themed party for birthday or Christmas, etc.? I mean, college was marked for me by constant, you know, just having... I mean, there are two things. Uh, having Rock Band and Guitar Hero around um, mm-hmm. for house gatherings. Uh, and also, like, Mario Kart and stuff like that. Because, you know, mm-hmm. because the Wii um so yeah like that it was always a really good time but never like specific it was never like the specific purpose of the gathering or like a theme a theme for the thing that was just having having fun group video games around in a in an environment where people were looking to celebrate yeah i i when i was younger i would have a themed you know birthday that was around uh gaming and then as an adult for a few years we did game retreat in the summer where we'd go get a cabin for like a four day weekend and just play mm-hmm. board games and tabletop games, yeah. uh, which I miss a lot, but that was not to celebrate anything particularly. It was just, yeah. you know, for fun. Uh, and that was great, you know, so I, I do miss that, but that's the closest thing that I have mm-hmm. to it. Um, but yeah, that sounds really fun. Uh, good best man. Yeah. You know, um, agreed. Uh, do you want to do one each of media questions and show questions, then do lightning round? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. Um, Joshua asks, uh, this is a media question. Uh, I've been watching The Simpsons in order for the first time, and I'm currently on season four. Oh, good days. Good days. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm collecting the box sets as I go. Uh, I'm really loving it, but everything is clouded by the certain doom that is supposed to be season 10 and onwards. Does it really get that bad in the season 10 to 20 stretch? Um, It gets... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, like I would say it's not 10 because right. like 10 still has a couple, you know, 10 is still okay. Yeah. Like I think it's like 13 or 14 to about 24 to 25. Yeah. Is the, and this is somebody who has been like revisiting late Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that era is pretty shitty. Yes. Uh, there, it does get better. And it doesn't dip as quick as as people think it does. Like, it's when people start ascribing Bad Simpsons when Bad Simpsons start showing up. Right. You know? Mm. But, like, the season that has the the Mel uh, Gibson episode, like, that episode fucking sucks. <laughs> like, that, that episode sucks. But uh, there are good episodes that season. It's not all that. Yeah. The, you know the Alec Baldwin episode and and Kim Bassinger Bassinger yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, just just atrocious you know yeah just atrocious yeah. stuff yeah you, you have to start looking at it like on balance is this does this season have more clunkers than good ones and like that for me starts happening around like season twelve or so you know yeah are you having fun yeah like watching it or are you like and then at that point i think it's good to stop and then yeah. when i started working backwards from the modern ones i generally enjoyed that experience mm-hmm. with still some clunkers like the the new stuff is probably equivalent of like your seasons 11 yeah yeah you know that that zone in terms of hit to miss ratio and with it with lacking you know being a very different show like lacking the heart and uh but still having a good joke ratio <laughs> yeah um Last night I was in a bummer mood and wanted to cheer myself up, so I watched the uh, Australia episode. 
oh yeah again uh which like the thing you know that's so different than later travel episodes because one they let the simpsons just destroy it <laughs> like that they basically start a war like i forgot that episode ends with australia storming the american embassy and destroying it yeah and then also you know but also uh i, I noticed this joke before but it on retrospect, it hit me like incredibly fucking hard mm-hmm. when when they're doing the booting and they have the Mad Max guy come out with mm-hmm. the giant boot. That guy is so fucking funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> and Homer takes the boot and holds everybody off like it's a gun. Yep. Like, it just it's so fucking good. Like that is that is a really really good episode of that show. Oh yeah, it's great. It uh, also doesn't feel as like mean spirited as the Brazil one, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's not racist, yeah. even though they destroy Australia. <laughs> you know, it's, it, is, it, is, it is, yeah, it's really mean to, to you know, Prime Minister Andy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very implying a lot of mean things about Australia, but it doesn't feel as racist. Yeah. Well, the charm of old Simpsons is it could be racist, like crypto racist. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I know what each of those word, words means, but that sign doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, serious Yahoo. film festival. Film festival. <laughs> uh, the, uh, Matthew asks, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on Alan Moore's Lovecraft-based comic works, Neonomicon, Providence, etc.? No, Gary has mentioned them a few times during unfilmable episodes, so I was curious if there was something you'd ever consider covering, or if that's just too dense to really fit the format of the show. P.S. The Patreon backlog has been a huge comfort during the pandemic. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you. Oh, uh, they're good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like all that stuff. Um, th- those are some of my favorite comics mm-hmm. and definitely some of my favorite Lovecraft stuff. Um, I would love to get them on the show. The tricky part was is, is that uh, it would have to be like a weekly show yeah. because the comics are so dense. Like, I don't think we would cover more than one issue. Right. Because they're full of references and there are tons of annotations. Mm-hmm. So our weekly show slot uh, slots are pretty taken up mm-hmm. at this point like that might be a fun thing to do like once orb wraps up or yeah something. yeah but it's you know we we toyed with the idea of doing that with unfilmable but it's just very tricky because unfilmable comes out once a month mm-hmm. you know and it's like man we're, we're just going to do this for four years at that pace <laughs> like I, I just it would be a hard <laughs> thing to people imagine off. people yeah well yeah and it would be hard for us too you know mm-hmm. like I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to be like when I'm 44. Right. You know, like I don't, uh, so it, I, th- I think they're great. Uh, they're super adult and they're, they're queasy. They have some, some queasy, uh, adult shit yeah. in them, but it's some of my favorite Alan Moore stuff and some of my favorite Lovecraft stuff. I've done many rereads. I pre-ordered like a hardcover collection of all those. That was supposed to ship like five months ago. <laughs> I did too. I just, I just realized uh, I never just got to have it. it. Yeah. I never, and also I've never got it. So it, it has to have been delayed or, uh, we've been scammed. Yeah. So they're getting I, that duck feed money from us. Ultimately it was just 60 bucks, but like, I don't know. I, I should probably look and see. It's been a while since I've gotten a, huh? <laughs> I'd still rather have it than not. Yeah. I would like it you know? if I could. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, you didn't, you didn't mention this, uh, the courtyard. If you haven't read the courtyard, read the courtyard. Matthew, yeah. Cause that is the prequel to uh neonomicon and is super good mm-hmm. very scary uh down to show questions 
Rick asks, uh, one thing that I love about your show is your use of music and audio from the games that you review in each episode. I'm curious to know if there's a process uh, to this behind the scenes. Do you have to purchase licensing for each track? Uh, is it fair use since you're only doing snippets? Does the show being funded primarily or exclusively through Patreon mean licensing is not necessary? I'm pretty in the dark about this, uh, and being that I'd like to uh, do something similar in my own projects, I figured uh, uh, that I'd ask you boys how the pros handle it. Uh, thank you for all that you do. You're the best. Um, f- fair use. Uh, first of all, oh yeah, n- n- nice try, Narc. Mm-hmm. Um, is how I'll start off this. They uh, nice try. But we're not going to tell you all of our secrets. So you can FBI us to <laughs> okay. the uh, RIAA. Uh, no, and I'm joking. Yeah. I just wanted to call Rick a narc. A narc, yeah. Um, I'll do the serious answer. Uh, fair, fair use. Narc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair use. Yeah, and, you know, like we've never been challenged on it. Like I don't know. I'd prefer you not go um, and like tell on us. Like if we got a cease and yeah. desist, that'd be a real that'd be a real shitter of a problem. But like but the worst part about it would be going back and editing old episodes. Yes. Can you fucking imagine how obnoxious that would be? It would be really obnoxious. Like, like, um. Yeah. Well, because I mean that's the other part of it. It's like fair use, but it's also uh, hiding in obscurity. Yeah. You know, like we can kind of do whatever we want because in the world of podcasts, we're like a medium fish, but podcasts are the smallest brand of fish mm-hmm. you know i i think um i used to listen to the kevin smith podcast mm-hmm. uh, back when i first got into podcast and he used to just straight up like play a song at the beginning of every episode same thing with uh, yeah, and dude. He, and he, yeah yeah and, I, and you know he was kevin smith mm-hmm. you know he was he was like that guy's kind of famous uh he's a he's a jorts magnate <laughs> and the uh you know so i was just if he could do it we could do it in terms of getting away with it and part of it is because podcast, you know, we talk about this being the smallest brand of fish, like doesn't apply if you're a YouTuber, mm-hmm. you know, you're a YouTuber, you have to fight for your fair use. Like you're going to have algorithms flagging your videos all the time. You're going to be constantly fighting with YouTube. Yeah. You know, things like that. But podcast, like eh, people let us, let us be, we're not hurting anybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're just small bean. And also like, aside from when I, you know, when we cut in something as a gag on abject suffering, everything that we, that we pull is from the game that we're talking about as well mm-hmm. you know so that, that that also like it is it is relevant to what we're discussing so yeah we're not you we're not lawyers like if you're starting your own thing understand the risks that you're taking you know um disclaimer I, cya but like under you know yeah know that we not very much risk in, in our like, ten, I, I don't want to discourage you <laughs> yeah in in either, our though. in our 10 in our 10 years we have not found it to be that much of a risk yeah. The the risk is that annoying editing thing. The risk is you get a cease and desist, and that doesn't mean that you have to erase all your shows. It means you have to edit them differently or come up with different music. Yes. You know, which is a pain, but you're not going to, like, go off to a labor camp. Right. For this. So don't uh, don't let that stop you, mm-hmm. you know, from doing this. Like, the, the worst case scenario is not too bad. Right. I would say. Um, Jonathan asks, uh, how long until you guys do a resident evil village episode, probably October. Mm-hmm. And then says more seriously, are there any shows on the network that you have stopped producing or put on a hiatus that maybe new listeners don't know about and may enjoy any shows that you look forward to revisiting at a later date? Um, I thought this was a fun question because there are a bunch of shows that mm-hmm. don't currently run, but people could listen to them if they wanted to. Yeah. The pitch is hilarious. Thank you. Yeah. yeah Brayton Cameron is a national treasure. Mm hmm. 
you know, uh, the pitch, Teenage Dirtbag, is both very fun. Yep. To me. Um, you don't really do uh, TDRK. Right. Uh, now because of scheduling stuff. But there is a large archive. Yes. Of that. Uh, that is Cole and his brother pitching news items at each other. Mm-hmm. And Cole's brother being very mean to him. Extremely um, mean. It's kind of... Kind of early guppy energy, except Cole doesn't give it back as much. No. So it's kind of like a one-way gup, you know? Yeah, the, <laughs> you the, that? With, a, with a power dynamic that's much more settled in. Familial. Yeah. Yeah, like, like a, like a decades-long power dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've done a bunch of shows that I started and then uh, was unable to keep going mm-hmm. with. So there's like seven or nine episodes of pilot season, which I think is fun. Mm-hmm. The idea for that was like every episode would be a different show. Um, and then life got in the way. And then obviously, uh, there are like nine episodes of heartbeat city, which was too much production and people weren't asking me questions. Yeah. So I, I, it didn't find an audience. Like that is something I would have liked to have kept doing, but I just didn't have enough questions to pull from. Yeah. You know, it ended up be, did not become a self-sustaining engine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was unable to, to keep doing that, but the archives are there and they're relatively evergreen. Yeah. Um, file underwater is really fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm real proud of that. Like, and that's also evergreen. Like, that stands mm-hmm. up. Yeah, that's our that's our show where we go over REM album by album. Mm-hmm. So, like, real good if you're an REM fan. Mm-hmm. Less good if not. Yeah, like, I don't yeah. think, I don't think we do tons of digressions and jokey jokes in that. I think right, right. It's more just... and most of the jokey jokes are about REM. So <laughs> you, you kind of have to know the subject material. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and then looking, Monster My Podcast, which oh, we yeah. no longer do, but that's like a a, a chuggable snack mm-hmm. of little bite sized funlets. Listen to listen to a few of those at a throw while you're uh, you mm-hmm. know taking care of stuff. Looking forward to finishing out um, Radio Free Midworld here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. So th- there are definitely some things that we've uh, done, and some things that are like designed uh, to to be as such. You know, File Underwater was designed to be a limited run. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or will end. Yep. Like we're we're just starting season three now, so we've got a while. But you know, I just wrapped up that show, like a rewatch of the the whole series, and it's like, yeah, it's not infinite. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that that is a show with an end date. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah. So yeah. all that stuff I think is worthwhile and cool. Agreed. Um, do we want to answer the first question there? Do we just because we get that we get asked that a lot right now? Which question? Um, the, the, the first question that Jonathan asks, I answered it. No, about early October. Oh, did you? Yeah. I, I, I don't remember you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're probably going to be doing yeah, Resident Evil Village in October. There we go. I, yeah, I, I, I swear I was paying attention. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Mark. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's do a lightning round. Yeah. Let's do, let's do some lightning rounds. Uh, let's see here going up, going up, uh, Dallas says, which movie video game or television show, um, did you expect to hate? Uh, but you ended up actually enjoying a lot. I don't uh, tend to go into things that I expect to hate. Me, me either. But I, I was reminded of something. I do have an answer for this because we, we get variations on this yeah. time and time. I really liked the Netflix original show, uh, the spectrum of love, hmm. which is a show, an Australian show about people with autism mm-hmm. who were, uh, learning and starting to date. Okay. Um, I found that, uh, TV show cause I was expecting it to be very saccharine and kind of, um, like 
uh, exploitive almost like, Mm -hmm. you know, be, be a little bit like, you know, when I, when I was growing up media around that kind of thing was like the other sister, you know, stuff like that. Like it was, you know, people who are neurotypical playing those parts and it was kind of, uh, you know, look and see, uh, it had kind of elements of that, but this ended up, it's incredibly sweethearted. And, uh, and just, just very, you know, great. The, the people on it are great and really, really charismatic and funny. Um, I really love that. Yeah. And I didn't think I would. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first read this question, I thought that this was which video game movie or television show did you expect to hate, but ended up actually enjoying a lot. Um, I'll just answer that question. The question that I read, not the one you asked maniac mansion. That TV show is actually pretty delightful <laughs> from the yeah. early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matt asks, uh, for both RE7 and 8, I had no interest in playing the game, but I wanted to see the story beat, so I watched a commentary-free playthrough on YouTube. It was a good way to see the set pieces and story twists and not actually have to deal with the gameplay that I wouldn't enjoy. Do you ever do this? Is there any game that you wouldn't recommend playing, but would recommend watching cutscenes the full playthrough on YouTube? Um, yeah, like, I I don't end up doing this a lot, but I I do read screenshot Let's (laughs) Plays. Stuff like I like those a lot. I like to read these, and uh, I have you know watched a couple let's plays of stuff. And there are things that like games I think are really cool, but I know aren't for everyone, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so like my stock answer of this is like I think everyone should experience Pathologic, but I don't think everyone should play Pathologic. Uh, I'm currently um, playing through Pathologic right now. If you want to tune it to twitch.tv slash yeah. duckvtv uh, every weekend, I'm, I'm finishing it out, yeah. Yeah, watch Cole do it because it is it is, you know, you have to be not only in the mood for just the oppressiveness of the mood, but you have to be in the mood to be oppressed as a player. Mm-hmm. You know, and if like some people are just never gonna want that in terms of their play. Yeah. And I respect that and think that's fine. Yep. So but you should still see the story and see kind of what happens. Yeah. That would be your example, um, pathologic there. Um I I never really end up doing this. If uh, there's a series I'm curious about, I will look at uh, a synopsis on Wikipedia. Uh, and then, like, poke around on the TV tropes to find, like, cool examples mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. I'll end up doing that a lot as well. Like, yeah. read, you know, just a, a synopsis of it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, Jacob writes, Dear Gary and Cole, what's something that you never want to uh, hear be recommended to you again? Uh, P.S. You should really read Infinite Jest. Signed, A Curious Listener. Gary, that is a funny joke. When did Infinite Jest become like the, uh, oh, if you see this book on somebody's shelf, run the other way? Uh, You know, four years ago. Because like something, but but, and and also why? Uh, Because like, yeah, the the joke about it, like, at least for me was like, oh, you people own a copy, but they've never read it. I own a copy of Infinite Jest and I've never read it. <laughs> that, that's not that's a different joke that's the gravity's rainbow joke yeah yeah like that that's what i i heard about gravity's rainbow i think the infinite jest thing came about because david foster wallace is uh a white guy right and i remember seeing that um kind of discourse start popping off when it became like a thing like hey if your bookshelf is entirely like old white dudes like maybe you should look into that yeah you yeah know? but it, it's pretty misguided because david foster wallace is incredibly different than uh you know chuck polyani uh, dan, dan brown or, yeah well yeah or like any of the i was thinking about specifically like toxic 
Yeah. You know, okay. like, yeah. you know, the, the idea is like, oh, if you go into a date and a dude has this, he's a specific kind of dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, I don't, I don't know. Like everybody who I've, you know, I know lots of ladies who like infinite jest and every dude who I know who likes infinite jest is sensitive and good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, yeah, the, the backlash against that discourse has been really satisfying to me <laughs> because it's, it's, uh, uh, Kath Barbadoro, who is a pro Twitter follow, okay, uh, gets real mad about that shit, and it's been fun to watch because it's like, man, it's it's a it's a fucking book. Chill out, yeah. Uh, this, you know that it became this punchline, and like, yeah, I can see calling it pretentious, but like, I don't know, it just kind of seemed like lazy comedy to me, actually. <laughs> it doesn't even. I don't think the the idea was pretension, though. I think yeah. it, it was like toxicity. Like, I think that yeah. that it was the idea was if you know if a dude has this book, this book, and this book, Mm -hmm. they're like a man-child manlet who you, you know, shouldn't trust. They're a fuck boy. Yeah. Also, I don't know the things that you, the things that you like don't define you. Uh, Oh, if you, if you see a high fidelity on a man's shelf, run the other way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the, 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 um, by the way, but like, it's not, it's not Atlas shrugged. Right. 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 Uh Like that's the book you run the other way. Yeah. There's one of them. You know, and uh, I mean, now I'll, you know, mind comp and shit, but like, you know, like, <laughs> turn it out, yeah, the rope. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but it, it's, it's pretty rare. You know, I, I don't know that that kind of stuff was, was very crazy to me. Yeah. Um, in terms of the question, um, Hey Gary, you played near automata yet? That, that was going to be my answer, but people <laughs> kind of stopped doing it because I, uh, complained about it. Right. You know, and because they want me to play it and I, I did the, the incredibly powerful threat. That if oh. you suggest it, it makes me less likely to play it. Mm-hmm. So every time someone suggests it, it's another year. And yeah. right now we're looking at 2027 or so. Mm. Um, you know, I'll eventually get to it in like the classic remastered version. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I generally don't have one of these uh, like in, uh, across that. Nothing like specifically comes to mind. Something that does end up uh, like rubbing me the wrong way. And this is not necessarily a flattering thing. Uh, it's when somebody says, oh, you should absolutely play. And then they say something that we have absolutely covered on shows. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, we yeah. did. My reaction to that should be, oh, you want to hear me talk about that? I already did. Here's a link to it. Um, not, uh, you know, you don't know everything I've done over 10 years. Yeah. That's not, that's not a good reaction, man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you shouldn't expect anybody to memorize this shit. No, I, I like, it's, it, it's a, gov- I, I forget stuff that we do all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, uh, especially on abject suffering, like someone will be like, have you ever played this? And I'm never going to be like, well, one of the 550 <laughs> abject sufferings we did is about that thing. We didn't talk about it or anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I expect you to remember the name yeah. of the file. Uh huh. Yeah, you know? no, notably, I don't, uh, I, I don't act on that reaction. That's just something that I'm like, wait, wait a minute, and then I don't say anything, or I send them yeah. a link to it. So, I could see that if they're, they've got like a chip on their shoulder about it. Yeah, like yeah. if someone's like, oh man, you guys would really like, you know, this game. That's mm-hmm. one thing. But they're like, God, I can't believe Waff hasn't done this. That's so fucking stupid. Yeah, and it's yeah. Like, well, you know, then maybe, yeah, chill yeah. out. But also, I've not really seen that happen. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. That's a, that's a straw man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is this me or you? I think it's you. Uh, ICP. Uh, John asks ICP, the insane that that posse of mentally unwell clowns has the gathering. Duckfeed has Duckfest. But what about a beverage? What's the Duckfeed Nation's Fago equivalent? 
Rise Gar- up, Duck Feed Nation. <laughs> uh, Gary, I, I've got it in one. I know what it's going to be. Yeah. Werner's Ginger Ale. Oh, that's a good one. I, I was going to have a real normie answer like coffee or something. <laughs> but like, <laughs> so like I, don't, I don't drink a lot of non-coffee, non-water things. But Yeah. But like F- Fago is a regional pop. It's made in Detroit yep. where ICP is from. Um, yep. uh, Werner's Ginger Ale is, you know, regional here. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. where, where we both come from. Yeah. Werner's Ginger Ale. Yep. And it's incredible. Oh yeah, and, it's and we can, a lot of people will die if they chug it like ICP <laughs> chugs Vega. <laughs> like it's the kind of thing that you really chug sideways. Like oh. I can't imagine just it's, really just siloing a magnum of burners. It's so spicy. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredibly spicy drink. But that, you gotta if you got if you want to hang with the the big dogs, mm-hmm. you know you got. Do you got that green can? You can. Yeah, yeah. You do bring green can. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do, do, so do you we, have it? You know, next time we do something in person. Mm-hmm. Verners. Do, do you have an answer? Verners. Another another answer for that? Coffee is going to be my answer because yeah. I don't uh, I don't drink anything other than water and coffee really. Yeah. yeah. So and sparkly water sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like bla- uh, blackberry flavored bubbly. I, just, I, I, I love the I love the blandness of just having soda water beer thing though. But Verners yeah, feels it, more. Go ahead. Yeah, not not even flavored soda water. Uh huh. <laughs> Like, like, just, for uh, me. just seltzer, yeah, just, just seltzer, <laughs> just water that he's a little bit salty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is you. Yeah, this is me. Alex says American yep. singer songwriter, Jimmy Buffett accidentally clips you at a crosswalk in a seaplane. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dream. You're fine. Yeah. Uh, and he's clearly at fault, but he will lose his seaplane license if the authorities get involved again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love how important the word again is in that. Yeah. Very good. This is, this is a great question, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> so he this inst- is really funny. I, <laughs> so he instead offers to settle things on the down low uh, by buying you a for real cheeseburger in paradise. Where is paradise and what's on that burg? God, what a good question. Five yeah. stars. Five stars. Uh, five stars. If uh, everyone who's listening to this, I, I never know what references will land for people because I sometimes the youngs mm-hmm. listen. But if you've never heard the song Cheeseburger in Paradise, you have to fucking hear it because yeah. that song has a breakdown with like hand claps where he just lists ingredients of a burger. <laughs> it's fucking incredible. I like mine with lettuce and tomato. <laughs> like it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you ever want to know the Jimmy Buffett burger recipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's your paradise? What's on your Berg? Yeah. I mean, I like my house a lot. So maybe in my, in my living room <laughs> <laughs> or like in the parapet of some windswept castle, you know, yeah. like abandoned and spooky, uh, like, uh, on some kind of like Island in Scotland or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. And what's on my Berg? Uh, I mean, my favorite sauce on a Berg is barbecue. Like I, th- I think ketchup, mm. uh, ketchup is for Boston. Like a rodeo burger. Yeah, I mean a rodeo burger is absolutely like the the way to go. But I could do a rodeo burger that also included a um uh, like a runny like a like a runny fried egg. That would be mm. uh, pro- probably best for me. Yeah. There's a burger. I I would do like a cabin that overhangs a stormy cliff. Okay. You know, on like on a very dramatic coast where it's raining. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on my burg, uh do like a pretzel bun, uh, cheddar, grilled onions, uh, ketchup and mayo. Um, and that might be it. Yeah. So 
that's my paradise bird. Yeah. Um, I like, I like the idea that both of our ideas of paradise are antithetical to James Buffett's. <laughs> oh, sure. Like, I mean, I would want to punish him for hitting me. Right. <laughs> he clipped me. So I'm not going to choose. I'm not going to be like, oh, the beach at Cabo San Lucas. <laughs> like, I'm not going <laughs> to you know, throw him a softball. No. You know, my paradise happens to be your restaurant, Jimmy. <laughs> you know, I'm not, not going to like let him get off the hook that easily. Yeah. Hit me the fucking plane. <laughs> um, Stuart asks, uh, are the games you really don't want to cover on WAF, even though you feel like you should? Games that spark huge conversation on social media, games loved by Duckfeed fans, etc. It's also a really good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, boy, uh, we talked a little bit. Like there are some things where it's like, you know, the, the big one for this for me always is Kingdom Hearts because that's a popular game series, but I don't think anybody would have fun yeah. doing that because, uh, I, you know, I'm mostly speaking for me, but I reject the premise. Mm-hmm. Like I just, oh yeah, it's, it's about uh, Final Fantasy and Disney characters getting together and talking about their friendship. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's not serious. I can't take that seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, Shenmue is one as well, yeah. um, but that's because I know, like I decide like, I don't like that game. I think it's really boring mm-hmm. and I would complain about it and make points that I think are legit. And then people would be mad at me because they liked that game when they were young. Yes. You know? Yeah. No, I think so. b- both, both of those are good, uh, are, are, are good answers. Um, I think that like games that I think would make good episodes where we would find things to like, but they would require, uh, an awful lot oh, of, that's another way. Yeah. Yeah. An awful lot of investment. So like, now that they've launched wow classic i think that would be fun to go back to you know mm-hmm. but like we neither of us have like any real experience with that and then you end up like with gatekeeping kind of like when when we did uh team fortress classic you know yeah um we so don't know like, the real game because we didn't play to the end where you're doing you know equipment raids right right and whatever. so like and you know that just takes a lot of time more than the you know 15 to 25 hours that we budget for a game you know um, in yeah. a week, like maximum, right? Um, yeah. You know, similarly, like I don't know, it's it, it, it's it starts to feel kind of ridiculous that we haven't done a Monster Hunter, like even Monster Hunter World, just yet. Yeah. But those are so well, it's very long. similar, though. That's like a single player MMO. Yeah, you know, and and kind of almost how they they play. Yeah, like there's a similar equipment grind and you know an end game mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Um, there's also things like in terms of just like length. You know, like people, you know, are like, oh, I can't believe you guys haven't done Persona 5. And I'm like, I can't believe that we didn't want to put 100 hours into, you know, creating six hours of content. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, or I, I can believe that. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a principled thing. Like, I might dig that game. I liked three and four, but it's yeah. just the time investment is uh, irresponsible and morbid. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those are, those are kind of the ones, I think. Yeah. Um, um, I think yeah. this is the, this might be me. Um, Alex mm-hmm. writes, uh, what's one thing you frequently do in games that clearly goes against the designer's intent, uh, but makes things more enjoyable for you. Uh, for example, I turn up the brightness in every game that I play because I hate super dim murky environments, uh, even when they're obviously intended to look that way. Uh, that's a good answer. Uh, just like when, when, when they yeah. say, uh, turn up your brightness until you can barely see the symbol in the white box. I'm like, Oh no, you're yep. not getting away that easy. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, define barely motherfucker. <laughs> the, the, um, yeah, I, I turn up the brightness. I also, uh, do everything with subtitles. Oh God. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's not, uh, my hearing is not as good as it once was. Mm-hmm. 
when I was younger, but it's also partly that I don't trust uh, any media really to mix yeah. well. Um, um, video games you know, are, are notoriously shitty at mixing their shit. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to read it. And like, yes, that isn't intended because there'll be sound cues or things you're meant to barely hear mm-hmm. or deliveries. They'll get messed up when you read them, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've decided that I'm fine with that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, Marcus says, what is your perfect weather for enjoying a nice day? Um, I like a, uh, 68 degree, 65 degree overcast light jacket kind of scenario, like in the 60 to, to 67 or so corridor mm-hmm. light jacket overcast, very yeah. little sun, but it's not dark. Uh, same. Yeah, pretty much exactly. Um, I mean, like if for like a nice day, like different, uh, differing versions of that, like shit, if I don't have anywhere to go, I'd love a thunderstorm. Dude. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love a snow day as well. If I have nowhere to go. Yeah. Like if my power is not going to go out, but it's just like a raging snowstorm and you look outside and it's just white. Mm-hmm. That is so, that is so great. Yeah. It looks cool as hell. I basically just don't want to see the sun. Uh, it hurts my eyes. Gives mm-hmm. you cancer. Like it's, it's no good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't, I'm not comfortable in heat. Yeah. So. Um, Ryan asks, uh, so non-gaming related, what job interview question are you most happy you no longer have to answer? And gaming related, um, what is your favorite po- uh, po- favorite Pokemon and favorite region? For me, it's Golduck and Sinnoh from Diamond and Pearl. Uh, interview questions never bothered me. Like, I am, it's a weird thing where I hate uh, the hustle of trying to find a job, but it's very rare that I would get an interview and not get a job. Like, yeah. I, I interview extremely well. Yeah. Um, you know, so all of the questions, many of which I think are just like, Hey, let's greet, let's, let's lie about this. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to ask you a question about whether you, you know, love to be around people all the time. And you're going to say yes. Cause that's required for the job. We're both lying, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm glad I don't have to do that in general anymore, but there wasn't a particular one yeah. that bugged me, you know, same. I, I am very good at making, um, people in authority like me is uh mm-hmm. is is kind of the thing about it so uh favorite pokemon that's moved around a little bit uh, mm-hmm. my boring answer is snorlax uh because i've become kind of you know a little bit less invested prior to that um i have a lot of affection for the uh the sword oh yeah the floating yeah. ghost sword love that guy uh, and then my favorite region, um, the one I have the most nostalgia for is, you know, the one from, uh, gold and silver. Yeah. I think the one that I had the most fun, like actually moving around and, uh, playing was the one, uh, where it is France. Oh, X and Y, I think is, I think that's yeah, the one. And you have like a skates, like you really early on, you get rollerblades mm-hmm. and you just use the analog stick to just activate them without going into a menu. Yeah. That was, you know, made that very fun to get around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, favorite Pokemon, uh, right now I'm going to say pseudo Wudo, uh, the rocked tree from, uh, gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Cause he's kind of the closest mm-hmm. you're going to get to a Pokemon Cactor. Um, and mm-hmm. region. Yeah. Um, uh, let's say, uh, gold and silver. Cause I'm most nostalgic for it. And Pokemon is a nostalgic endeavor. Yeah. Oh. Uh, final lightning round question. Um, if you had to do one or the other, uh, would you rather play through every Kingdom Hearts game or read through every Lord of the Rings universe book? As someone who has played the Kingdom Hearts games, I might recommend the Lord of the Rings option. Um, I would rather read those books than play through every... Are you fucking kidding? Mm-hmm. There's 70 Kingdom Hearts games. Yeah. 
Like it would be the same amount of time as well. Like for all of those, like it's the same time commitment, mm-hmm. but yeah, I would much rather same. read the Lord of the Rings books. Yeah. It's not like there's like, uh, there are no good ideas in the Silmarillion. It's just, it's a reference book, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and you don't have to, you know, I don't have to, it's not trying to tug on my heartstrings, the Silmarillion, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like a, a reference book I could read Yeah, and be like, cool. Now I know more about middle earth. It's all right. Cool. All right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna dream drop distance. <laughs> you know, you're not gonna not three gonna... three twenty eight over two. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and like again, the old west. Like, I feel like you could shoot somebody. Yes, for for three twenty eight over twoing you. <laughs> um, um. Yeah. Let's do yeah. a let's do our topic. Let's say. Yeah. Why don't we? I'm gonna let you uh, read it because it is something that you uh, you're bringing to us. From a from a question, yes, we emailed. Here we go. Yeah, uh, normally normally we pull these from a um uh from a post that we put up. Uh, however, this was a really good question that got that got email, emailed in from a patron. Uh, this is Mike uh, who says, "I've been replaying a couple of games from my childhood and realized that it was the first time I was playing them without a strategy guide. I remember being younger and using them so I could progress uh, past tough fights." Or just make sure that I got all the strongest gear. I don't really touch them as an adult, uh, but I have positive memories of using them when I was a kid. Uh, I have a few old guides lying around, and I always appreciated the formatting and aesthetics. I feel like a lot of that, uh, a lot of that has been lost uh, as everything has moved online. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on strategy, strategy guides as an art form? Um, yeah, I fucking love, I love strategy guides, Gary. I have like two whole shelves of them on my, uh, on my bookshelf. I, I used to have a pretty significant collection and I, and I ended up donating them to a museum in a move, hmm. uh, like a museum in Seattle. That was like the interactive game museum or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also like them of a vintage. Yeah. You know, I, I it's, I go thrifting mm-hmm. with some frequency when real life is going on. And that is the uh, section of the story I make a beeline to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can definitely tell kind of the good era of strategy guides versus the the lousier era. Mm-hmm. Uh, define the that good for ones me. Are, uh, for me, like I think that the the beginning of the end was the Final Fantasy IX play arts online. <laughs> you know, when strategy guards started referencing websites. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, and that is not just, that's obvious, like Final Fantasy IX was famous for that, but other games after that also do that shit. Yeah. Um, you know, because games would end up becoming bigger and more complicated. They really couldn't just put everything into it. Well, and games got um, ended up getting is, updated more, you know? Yeah. So that, you know, they felt like they had to do that. And this is outside of, uh, you know, kind of art pieces, Yeah. you know, like the, the Dark Souls guides, mm-hmm. the future press guides that came out that are meant to be kind of prestige. Yes objects but older guides i think are pretty incredible mm-hmm. yeah guides from like uh 1995 to 2000 um i love those um i really enjoy like having both the official and unofficial guide for a game mm-hmm. i mean like the official official in the streets <laughs> but like the official brady games guide for final fantasy 7 versus like the unofficial guy that had like just a piece of fan art the as the cover art. 
<laughs> What's that? Yeah, the, the carnival art. Yeah, exactly. Like it looks exactly. like it's it on like the side of like a final, <laughs> yeah, like an airbrushed Final Fantasy VII themed go kart or something uh-huh. like that art. Yeah, inside. and they had information that yeah. like didn't line up, or there were like you know like just a weirdly written caption that made you think that there was a secret uh, that you were able to get like in the bottom of the pit in Corel where you fought Dine yep. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just lies. Yep. Just, you know, just rumors just right. that the, the author had come up with. Outright lies. Uh, I, yeah, I, I love those. And like the, the, the other thing that will make a guide like really, really uh, sing for me mm-hmm. is uh, like a fiction element or a personality element. Oh, the uh, mist guides it. are great for that. Uh, like that yeah, are written they, from the first person perspective as like, you know, like, oh, so how do we how do we have all these screenshots? Oh, the character's a photographer and they're writing everything yeah. and like, oh, I saw this and then here's my thought process as I did it. Yeah. 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 I remember uh, that was actually really huge for a lot of PC games. Mm-hmm. My uh, uncle who had all who was the PC adventure game guy had tons of those and the kind of in-universe hint guide. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the uh, the hint guide and this actually isn't exactly the same because it came with mm-hmm. but uh the manual for starflight has a hint oh, guide in it yeah. that is written as like logs of a, a crew that went on the journey before you mm-hmm. um the fallout one guide which is one of my favorite like fallout pieces of ephemera when i sold my big collection of fallout ephemera like it's one of the things i kept um which is written in universe as a guide for people leaving the vault mm-hmm. um with like tons of flavor yeah and and, and stuff like that like that shit's incredible Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, cause it, it's, it's games writing that, uh, goes away. Like yep. it's, it's some of the rarer games writing you could get, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you run into stuff, um, from the early nineties where there were authors who were famous for that kind of thing, like being funny, like Zach Meston, uh, his link to the past guide. Yeah. I remember reading that a lot and it's like full of jokes. <laughs> like that, that dude, that dude was making jokes. And I remember it being some of the first like gaming humor mm-hmm. I read. Yeah. Um, I got, I got to find a, a copy of that. <laughs> like I am kind of, kind of surprised. I am not looking at that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like when, whenever we, I mean, if we ever go back to, <laughs> to having like PRG or and like you know, th- those kind of events again, you know, one of the things I miss is uh, going through the big long boxes full of uh, strategy guides pulling out like old survival horror ones, like old survivor horror strategy guides. Like there'd be information in those that you just wouldn't get like names for Mm -hmm. enemies or backstories for like why they had their design and stuff. Like that was a really uh, huge thing for like um, Dan Burlew's silent hill guides, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember having a resident evil three guide that had a lot of that. And then was also very funny. Mm hmm. Like, had these little side uh, things that the author was just, like, having fun, mm-hmm. you know? And it was like, where is Raccoon City? You know, and he was, like, taking <laughs> photo clues of where you would see area codes. Yeah. And stuff in the background. Or, like, um, what what do we think about the other products that Umbrella sells? <laughs> you know? What's Aquacure like? Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing, which is just, like, so endlessly charming. Yeah. Uh, to me that, you know, I ended up, like, I played the game Resident Evil 3 and I played it a few times when I had it and had the mercenaries mode. So I played that game quite a bit. Yeah. But I also read the guide like kind of over and over. Oh yeah. You know, as, as a teen, I would take, um, I would take strategy I, guides to school so I could like play the game in my head during, during the day, yeah. you know? Yep. And as a, a CRPG guy, the strategy guides for like Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale and stuff basically double as source books. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, same thing with the manuals, which is a different discussion, but we could probably tie it into this as well. Yeah, no. Um, but the, uh, the manuals would, you know, the, the Baldur's Gate manual has descriptions of all the spells mm-hmm. and all those spells are all the second edition D and D spells. Oh yeah. You know, so fully half of that book is like a, the player's handbook, <laughs> you know, and then the strategy guide is, has like monster stats. Yeah. Like fully half of it is like a monster manual with stuff ripped from the game. Same thing. I mean, the worst game and later, but it hit, hit at the right time for me, the Neverwinter Nights guides. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't just have like, you had the strategy guide for the main game, but you also had like the, the handbook for world creation which mm-hmm. uh you know was a little bit of like technical stuff for making stuff in the aurora engine but it was kind of like a dm guide um with just really plain spoken advice for like how to run people through a campaign um yeah you know like story hook ideas and things just incredible yeah you know and i think that part of the reason why that has changed you know other than the internet which the asker obviously you know points out like right now i can just go and get any of that information that's non-flavor like anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is easy to find second edition D and D spells online. Yeah. Um, part of it is that part of it is the complexity of games. Yeah. And I think a big part of it is uh 3d and 3d maps. Yes. Um, you know, in, in kind of a general sense, like cutting down, you know, you'd, you'd have like a doom guide that had doom maps and mm-hmm. that worked cause they were, they were 2d and they were just like mazes from above. But you can do a really complicated 3D level. You know, those Dark Souls guides are beautiful, but it took a long time for them to figure out how to, like, map the catacombs. Yes. You know, on a 2D image. Um, you know, so you'd end up with uh, the kind of, like, it's it's a chicken and egg thing almost, where, like, you know, the games would become more complicated. They couldn't really map them. Also, when they went into 3D, at some point, games, it's swung the other way, where games would be more simple. Like there wouldn't even really be a need for a map because you'd mostly just move forward. Yeah. You know, of like the kind of the 360 generation. Yeah. You know, didn't have a lot of like really complicated map design. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would still find guides for those. If I go to the thrift store, there's all kinds of like kill zone shit like that, mm-hmm. but I'll pick them up and flip through them. And it's like nothing. Right. Like there's like, like boss strategies and then lots of pictures. Yes. You know, Mm-hmm. Very little in the way of content. Yeah. And that. Something else that has changed, and I mean, I've just noticed this like in the past like five or so years probably, is that there are other things that can scratch the uh that can scratch the itch. So like mm-hmm. used to be you would get a strategy guide, um, and the cool thing about it was like looking at the art, but now there are like art and world books that you can get. So like one of the best ones of those that I've gotten is like here's the world of the Witcher. And it has, mm-hmm. um, you know, art and huge, beautiful screenshots and like writing about characters from the Witcher series, specifically, specifically like from the trilogy of games and then like notes about how they connect back to the books and things like that, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that would have been something like narrative content or visual content that would have that would have gotten in the past out of a um out of a strategy guide like that same thing uh there are two really good world books for for near automata um it's mm-hmm. like two volumes uh, about like the different areas that you can go to that talk about connections between the different games uh that are there and the art in that game is fucking gorgeous to me um so mm-hmm. like those are cool to have um and then also like editorial stuff i, I saw you tweeted today like this is what the 10th anniversary of the 
of the um uh, uh oh gosh hardcore gaming 101 uh guide to graphic adventures yeah, the adventure yeah. yeah or like those bitmap books the um uh crpg book or the adventure adventure game uh art book that has those interviews and things like that is a, like a really viable thing i think particularly because of crowdfunding now and so like yeah yeah you can decouple those awesome like ephemeral things um from the uh beat by beat of how to play the game as well if you are just looking for like information or to have like a nice coffee table artifact about this game that you like yeah yeah reference books have scratched a lot of that itch yeah like the art stuff is always funny to me because there's a couple of those i own but i always see them advertised for things i can't imagine people are (laughs) buying them for right you know it's like oh man the art of infamous too you know finally like uh but the uh a reference book like that that is a really good poll because that scratches a lot of that yeah uh can can i make go go ahead ahead. i was gonna make a recommendation on the on the reference book i just got this uh a couple days ago but i've been flipping through it it's like the ultimate uh nes games ending compendium it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty slim volume but like it has uh screenshots and like some pretty funny writing uh, like summing up the endings of these different NES games. Like the first volume is from like 85 to 88. Uh, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's like an attractive little book and I've had fun like flipping through it. Yeah, that'd be, I should uh, pick that up. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you as kind of a capper on this. When's the last time like you used a strategy guide? <laughs> like it actually was helpful and useful to you. The, the, the actual book itself to like uh, look at yeah. it. Um, to make progress in a game. <laughs> I got an end. So when I was streaming um, the Resident Evil director's cut, I got an ending that I didn't know was possible. And I was like, oh, how, how, how do I get the ending? <laughs> That's weird. And when you go and look, when you go and look up like a, a, a fact or whatever, it's just really hard to find that because of mm-hmm. the way that all the stuff is written. So I was like, wait, guys, on the stream, I'm going to go and pull out my my actual strategy guide from this and just like take a look and see what did I get wrong? And I was like, Oh, it was something you missed like way back when, like, you know, you, mm. you didn't wait for Barry to like drop the ladder down the well after you fell through it or something like that. It's like, okay, yeah. cool. Like I literally went and just like referenced it on the air. Uh, it's been forever since I've actually, I mean, even with um the nice like future press ones, because I play mm-hmm. the entire game before I look through it, the future press guide has been more like a useful resource when making notes for bonfire side chat, you know? Yeah. And just fun to flip through. Yeah. But yeah. not like something I use for the game, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I ended up actually making use of guides for fallout three, four new Vegas Ooh. in real life. Um, when I played those, uh, I, not for four because of where I lived, but when I played three in new Vegas, I took the map that came in the guides and put them up above my monitor. Oh yeah. While I was playing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then once I felt like I was done with an area, I gave myself license to look in the book and see what I'd missed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, those, those guides are actually really pretty useful Yes, and you can go online and find them, but having it represented, um, as a page and with a map to reference actually was really helpful. Mm -hmm. I thought. Yeah. Um, and that uh, was like shockingly recent, like me sitting on my couch, flipping through the fallout Four <laughs> book while playing through fallout Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like those guides quite a bit. Uh, the, it, I mean, I had a guide for, uh, oblivion and Skyrim and then the fallout games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, breath of the wild, actually like the map that came with that for the different shrines and stuff. I ended up 
like making little tabs out of um, uh, sticky notes and like mm-hmm. putting putting them up and then taking the tabs down once I did that shrine, just because that's a really mm-hmm. dense game and like the map is kind of make your own fun within it. Um, and I wanted a physical thing to to, uh, to 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 look at, so I knew where the good stuff was. Yeah, yeah, I ended up actually using that as well yeah. uh, for Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so this was just kind of like a a, a, a fun you know love fest. Yeah, for but- this, but hey. <laughs> yeah nothing nothing's wrong with that no, nothing says we have to like answer the question definitively about what happened to him but like yeah. i don't know i have a lot of affection for strategy guides uh they're yeah. good things and the way that they've changed is interesting and i've been there for every step of the way man like uh, just uh, once a month when i worked at gamestop and uh uh strategy guides got pennied out um mm-hmm. you know it's like yeah no these these are marked for uh for disposal uh, those were like the one thing that when it got pennied out, you would be able to just like flip through it and take them without getting in trouble. Yeah. Um, so I have just a bunch of pennied out strats for games that I never played <laughs> and never intend to play. I, I used to just b- pick them up if they were cheap enough, kind of no matter what game they were for. Yeah. yeah. And now my collection is I have them for games that are important to me. Yes. You know, so I have like the big CRPGs that are important to me. I have the Souls games. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I don't have that I want to get is the Deus Ex Guide. Oh, yeah. Which I'm sure is not very good, but it, it's rare and kind of yeah. hard to find. So I do not have that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, love guides. Love guides. Um, let's read the responses to our May games. Let's do. Um Yeah. Yeah, so I'll get us started. Uh, Hitman 3. Benjamin Benjamin writes in, Hitman 3 isn't my favorite in the series, but that doesn't mean it isn't spectacular. Dubai, Dartmoor, and Berlin especially hold up to me uh, with the best maps in the series. I was somewhat disappointed by the lack of extremely public spaces like Miami or Marrakesh uh, or Sapienza in this one, uh, with the only one I can really think of being the club in Berlin. Uh, But the more contained spaces it does give you are extremely good. Something I found interesting is how much more elaborate the escalation missions in this game have been compared to previous ones, especially the DLC escalations sold as part of the Deluxe Pack or the Seven Deadly Sins Pass. The one in Chongqing, for example, uh, essentially recreates uh, some of the early er- earliest levels from Hitman Codename 47, requiring you to snipe one character, kill another with a car bomb, and kill another while he is uh, in a tram traveling on wires above the city within a few seconds of each other. Uh, another, which manages to recontextualize the train level from the end, puts 47 in a ninja costume and gives him a cursed sword, uh, which requires you to kill someone with it every 30 seconds or else die. Uh, you have to figure out how to get all the way from one end of the train to the other, uh, while chaining melee kills together. I really liked, uh, how these made you approach the game in completely different ways. Hitman 2 is still the best in the series, but Hitman Hitman 3 was a worthy follow-up and I hope to see Agent 47 return sooner rather than later uh that train one sounds awesome <laughs> yeah we, we were really wondering how you would recontextualize yeah that's a really you know, good idea that level yeah <laughs> and I, i've shied away from escalations because it feels like you know challenge mode content mm-hmm. um but that that all that sounds really cool yeah so maybe i'll dip in at some point yeah you know um the the public facing element for me uh was answered a little bit by uh chong king for me like that that's but i agree that it's not as like hide in plain sight as two which had miami on the suburbs yeah which you know are big standout levels for me mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, Evan says via contact. I don't think I'm the only person who played way more games due to the extra time from quarantine over the past year. This was exacerbated uh, for me being a single person who lives alone in a one bedroom apartment. While I hated that much isolation, I truly discovered what I games I do and don't like. For example, playing Wolfenstein made me realize I really don't like FPSs, even if I like the uh, game story it tells. I used to define myself as a Souls gamer. Turns out I am a Yakuza hitman kind of guy as I worked through those series over the late spring and summer. To my ultimate joy and surprise, their newest entries were coming out within two months of each other at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. When Hitman 3 came out, I was blown away. While Hitman 2 has my favorite maps, Hitman 3 was the game where I became truly consumed by the mechanics. I even learned how to speedrun it. And while I generally agree that the first two entries had better maps and targets, I will say uh, Niels by Nielsen improved the quality of the music compared to the prior entries. Each map has unique music that aids in painting both the destination and setting and setting the emotional mood for each point in the story. The track that plays once you leave Chongqing is my favorite. Uh, we didn't really talk about the music when we did that episode, but the music in Hitman 3 is really excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also noticed it was an improvement. I just, sometimes I forget to talk about music Yeah, uh, on the on the show. Yeah. Uh, I You know what? I'm going to be honest. I didn't really notice it. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. probably why I didn't make a note of it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, cool on you for learning how to speed run it. Yeah. Um, during uh, the last uh, Duck Stream, Nick did his silent assassin mm. uh, mode. Um, vague kind of speed run of the first one. It was really cool to watch. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Roller Coaster Tycoon, Luke says via contact, Roller Coaster Tycoon is extremely nostalgic for me. I've probably put more hours into the Roller Coaster Tycoon franchise than any other game to date. My favorite scenario, Arid Heights, was added in the Loopy Landscapes edition, or expansion rather. Uh, it was the first scenario without monetary restrictions, so it was an ideal sandbox, literally and figuratively. Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 implemented a full sandbox mode, which sort of led me to abandon the scenarios altogether. I think in all my hours, I achieved one fully realized park that I still have a save uh, that I still have a save file on on an old uh, external hard drive. Thanks for covering a game that is so near and dear to my heart. Thank you. Yeah. No, I don't know that I have anything to add to that, but no, thanks. Yeah, I've been, uh, I had to uninstall Planet Coaster because it was a, uh, an attractive nuisance. I knew that, uh, if I let myself start it, I would not stop. So, yep. I understand that. Uh, Ryan says via contact, it is the distant future, the year 2000. Humanity has just survived the end of the world by digital calendar. And I have survived my first year in a new town. Being on an island where it rains 230 days out of the year gives you a lot of time indoors, so I took advantage of the power of our brand new gateway computer to dive into PC games. Roller Coaster Tycoon was a huge change of pace compared to my usual fare of Diablo and Age of Empires 2. Here was a non-violent game that pushed me to understand a variety of systems and tackle a huge array of scenarios. While I hated roller coasters in real life and had only uh, been to Disneyland years before, I was completely consumed by this game, so much so that I used the internet to look for tips and advice for the first time ever. While I never completed more than half of the scenarios, I returned to the game and its sequel for the next decade, and it remains a huge part of my adolescent memories. I'm happy to see it. Give Island where it rains 230 days a year. Oh, God. Um, Still my heart. (laughs) Uh, Give me directions to that island, please. Yeah. Yeah, Indoors, please. 
Uh, it is it is nice uh, it is nice to find another person who does not like roller coasters but loves roller coaster tycoon. Yeah, yeah, and it, it is man. I love uh, the idea of roller coaster tycoon, Age of Empires, and Diablo as kind of a trinity mm-hmm. of, of PC games. Like you put that, and then you put you know Ultima Underworld or something in there. Yeah, and like you know there there you got you got some your your food groups covered. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitive of an era for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. year 2000 um, yeah god old what does uh what does doug say doug says i have a lot of fond memories of playing roller coaster tycoon i played it with my girlfriend at the time and i remember we ran into trouble with the janitorial ai <laughs> although we hired plenty of janitors and ensured they patrol the entire park somehow puddles of vomit would always seem to just sit there causing our park's rating to understandably decline to solve the problem, we created Vomitio or Vomitio. I'm not sure which is which is funnier. Vomitio is funnier. Yes. I think we created it's on Shakespearean <laughs> Vomitio. Um, every yeah. game, uh, we could have one free roaming janitor. We would assign that name and pick him up and spot clean those famous uh, and spot clean uh, those vomit puddles uh, as needed. Uh, which was basically all the time. His sad, puke-filled existence uh, would have made for a very depressing Wreck-It Ralph side character. Uh, mm-hmm. The game and the relationship are now long behind me, but I confess every once in a while my thoughts will drift to <laughs> poor, woeful Vamishio, uh, and it will put a smile on my face. Yeah, you found you made yourself a poop smith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, love, love Amicio. It's it sounds like the uh, spill magic bunny. You know, if you remember that when we talked about the spill magic bunny, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, that's great. Uh, I love I love stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Alex says via contact. As a big theme park kid growing up, Roller Coaster Tycoon was a dream come true. My brother and I would swap strategies and take turns on the computer building rides. The simple isometric perspective and Lego like track pieces really helped us wrap our heads around the build process. I returned to the game a couple of years ago with some help from the open RCT two mod and fell in love all over again with an adult perspective concepts like G forces and loan interest made a bit more <laughs> sense than they did to my kid brain. Uh, I was surprised to find how deep those systems actually go and how much this game still sparked my creativity. I fell right back into spending all my money on huge wooden coasters that took up half of my park. RCT to me is a perfect combination of management slash sim elements and a platform for freeform expression more so than a lot of other sim games and city builders. Nothing quite strikes my creativity like the tracks and loops of roller coaster tycoon. So I love the concept, like the, the, the milestone that one will go through, like when it just a substantial portion of your childhood innocence dies and your shoulders just stoop a little bit more from the extra weight mm-hmm. on top of them. Uh, the second that you understand loans and interest. Yeah. <laughs> then I they mean, do that to you in school. Yeah. You know? But like you never like it, like that is not especially practical, you know, like you don't feel the consequence no. of a loan like you do when you take out a loan in SimCity. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not, it's not practical. It is just a weird thing where they're just like, hey, kids. Yeah. You know, get less happy <laughs> about this. Like learn, learn something miserable. Yep. You know, <laughs> this is waiting for you down the line. The beginning of Atrocity Gary was learning about. <laughs> compound interest interest. yeah Yeah, compound interest yeah there are people in Um, the world who make a living off of already having money (sighs) yeah and uh, and this is this is after i learned that people make a living off of having already bought property Uh (laughs) uh-huh 
you know, everybody makes a living off of just things that they didn't do, uh-huh. or they're not doing and didn't, you know, and maybe just their parents did Yeah, at one point. Yep. Oh God, my shoulders oh, are so drooping gross. so much right now. Oh God. Yeah, I know. Like they're basically, I, I, they're basically coming out of my hips. They look like a Venture Brothers character, like <laughs> a background character. You know, like the torso. Oh man. Like that. <laughs> uh, did you have anything more to say about that? No, no, these, um, like a lot of these responses, I don't have anything to add, but it's also just like, yay, Perkins Redhuden is great. It is. You know, I'm glad everybody loves it. You know, uh, uh, Benjamin says via contact, I have so many memories of playing Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 years ago when it was new. It was one of the first games I ever got on PC, and it was one of the first things uh, that, that started moving me from consoles of the time, like the GameCube, over to PC gaming. I was shocked when I heard you mention that uh, in the episode that the original Roller Coaster Tycoon was written in assembly code. Uh, looking into it, it was written in x86, which was which is a language that I've worked in before. I cannot fathom a product as big as Roller Coaster Tycoon um, uh, 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 being written in such a low-level language. As opposed to a higher level language like C++ or even C, uh, where things like memory management are largely handled for you, x86 requires you to do actions like coding the information in and out of specific areas of the processor by hand. Uh, just to perform the simplest of actions like addition or subtraction. May God have mercy on your soul if you need to divide anything. Uh, uh, This sent me down a rabbit hole of looking into what languages were uh, commonly used in game development at the time, uh, since I've commonly heard it repeated that Super Mario 64 was programmed in MIPS, M-I-P-S. Uh, another assembly language similar to x86. This rumor specifically started because the rabbit from Super Mario 64 is named MIPS, uh, which is supposed to be a reference to the language. Uh, But after some research, it seems that rumor is false. Uh, And even Super Mario 64 from three years earlier than Roller Coaster Tycoon was programmed in C. The reason that rumor exists and the rabbit is named MIPS is because the N64 ran on a MIPS microprocessor, uh, which is distinct from requiring MIPS code. Coding your games in assembly, from what I can tell, uh, wouldn't have been a common practice since the NES days, uh, and getting something as complex as Roller Coaster Tycoon running in assembly is, to me, akin to putting a man on the moon using nothing but slide rolls. Uh, Chris Sawyer is certainly an impressive programmer to have pulled off such a feat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's, I'm glad to have somebody, you know, kind of add some context to that because yeah. I don't, I'm pretty ignorant about this entire dilio yeah. you know the entire dilio of programming um it's not one of my dilios not my dilio not my dilly bar <laughs> uh so it's it's interesting to hear it put into context you know like mm-hmm. i read that but i didn't really know what it means and then saying like oh like you can't actually add and subtract yeah you know like you have to define that kind of stuff that's pretty wild like have you ever played um human resource machine uh or seven billion humans uh yeah yeah th- that's a little bit what it's like to code in assembly is my understanding yeah. That's like an abstracted version of it. It's but I I don't understand the connection between human resource machine and then like getting a picture of a roller coaster. Yeah, there's that. You know, yeah. like I understand how to how to get like math problems and stuff, <laughs> which is what happens in that. Yeah. But yeah. Programming is interesting because it, it is like a subset of games. It's a very specific subset of 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 gaming things that mm-hmm. I respect, but I just don't I it's hard for me to find the fun in it. Mm-hmm. Like I loved uh, Little Inferno. 
and uh you know world of goo and then i got human resource machine and i was like oh this just kind of isn't my game yeah, like this yeah. is fun it's a very approachable version of this mm-hmm. but i'm just doing math problems yeah like this feels like number muncher to me mm-hmm. you know which is all fine well and good like when you're in school yeah yeah but now i, I now i munch on snacks <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't need to munch on numbers anymore <laughs> Um, but I'm really glad such things exist for, uh, people like Nick. Yeah. You know, uh, finally on roller coaster tycoon, Luke says via contact, your roller coaster tycoon episode was a lot of fun and brought back fond memories of my childhood. I don't know about where you guys are from, but I live in Canada, uh, or where I live in Canada, roller coaster tycoon was given away for free in cereal boxes in the early two thousands, which is how I got my copy. I remember having a great time with it, but the strongest memory I associate with it is from 20, 2010 and is sort of incidental to the game itself. Back in 2010, I was in my second year of university, moving in with a bunch of friends for the first time. One of my housemates brought a copy of Cheerios along when they moved in. I noticed that it had a copy of Roller Coaster Tycoon in it. Oh, they're giving away Roller Coaster Tycoon again, I said. That's cool. I opened the box and poured myself a bowl. Presumptuous, presumptuous of you. Mm-hmm. Um, one bite, and I realized that I had made a terrible mistake. No, they were not giving away Roller Coaster Tycoon again. This box was from the first time they had given away Roller Coaster Tycoon seven years earlier in 2003. Apparently, old unopened boxes of Cheerios don't go moldy or anything like that. They just get very, very stale. <laughs> it tasted like eating styrofoam peanuts. Zero out of ten. Do not recommend seven-year-old Cheerios. I don't know why this friend of mine had kept a box of Cheerios for that long, but I should have seen the Roller Coaster Tycoon as a red flag. <laughs> uh, in terms of memories of the actual game, for whatever reason, the most vivid ones I have is my dissatisfied customers starting to leave the park in hordes, and I, in my frustration, picking them up before they can get out the gate and dropping them into a pool of water to drown. Uh, and then a wave of guilt came over me as I empathized with their pathetic AI lives. So I scooped them out uh, from the water and set them on the far side of the park where they at least have to take a little bit longer to leave. <laughs> I'm happy that you saw some mercy for those peeps. And I'm also happy that those Cheerios didn't make you go blind. <laughs> yeah. yeah you didn't, uh, I, I rewatched review. Oh yeah. And where he has to try the, the burrito. <laughs> Like the viral marketing team. <laughs> the six-month-old burrito <laughs> at the hoarder counts. Like this is incredible. <laughs> like it's just, he has to go to court that day. Oh, God. That show is so fucking good. It's, it's, it's a perfect tra- body. It's a treasure. Oh, God. Yeah. The teeth, like those huge veneers that he wears. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really, really good. The orange Hulk guy is kind of a good yeah. boy. Leave him alone. <laughs> well, the challenge was to have the perfect body. Not a very good body. Perfect implies yeah. symmetry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really good. Andrew Baniak is Gr- such a Grant is well. such a, like, he's a perfect villain. I love it so well, much. He's, he's, he's the villain of the show, too. He's uh-huh. like the ultimate, like, antagonist when you I get to the end. F- I forgave you before uh, I hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Um, yeah, in terms of old, what's, what's the oldest food you've ever eaten? Oh, I think that uh, when I was in college, I went to the corner store and I was like, oh, a glass mm-hmm. bottle of Fresca. I like Fresca. I've never seen it in a glass bottle before. This was like in mm-hmm. 2007 or so. Uh, and I drank it and I was like, oh, it tastes kind of weird, whatever. And then I looked at the um, I looked at the like Best Buy date or whatever. And it was like 1998. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I've had uh, similar experiences that I remember one time I ate uh, some gummy bears from a dollar store. Mm. And they were uh, like as hard as like certs. Like they, they, and they just, didn't, like, they like, didn't like, even I mean, have the reds in for you. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean harder. Like just the the hardest. Like they they gave a little bit, but it was like you could construct um like a boxing mouth guard <laughs> out of them. Uh, they're just horrible. You had to like suck on them for a real long time. Yuck! You know, had to soak them to be good, like fucking uh fish. I probably would have thrown those away, actually. Oh, I did. Yeah. I, I didn't actually soak them to reconstitute them into gummy bears or real bears. I don't know what would have happened. Yeah. But the, uh, yeah. It's, it's, like, um, it's like cooking beans, uh, you know, from scratch. Okay. You got to separate out. You got to, you got to, uh, sort these and then leave them in a, in a, in a jar of water overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the sorting is for suckers. That's a, like to sort the like aesthetically unpleasing beans. Well, I mean, sometimes beans. I found pebbles and dry beans before. Really? Yeah. Where are you buying your beans from, man? The quarry? From, from a bag in a store, dude. I've never found a pebble inside a bean. Okay. Bag. Not inside of a bean. I mean, am- amongst the beans. Yeah. I, yeah. I've never had an imposter bean. Okay. You know? Yeah. I, 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 maybe I just semi-charmed kind of life. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um. What does Michael say about Metal Gear Rising? Michael says about Metal Gear Rising, I think Metal Gear Rising might have been the game that broke me of a bad habit. Throughout my late teens and early 20s, I always pushed myself to play only important games. Important games are in quotes there. Uh, I was forcing myself to play only the heady, emotionally challenging, or thought-provoking material. Unfortunately, taking only the brainier works was exhausting to me, uh, and I grew tired of games over time. A friend sold me on the idea of Metal Gear Rising using an appeal for more Kojima-esque snake oil philosophy, even though there isn't actually much of that in this game. I think he was secretly trying to save me from my pretension cage. Metal Gear Rising's over-the-top stupidity was a breath of fresh air for me. I realized playing it, uh, not everything needs to be an artful masterpiece. Uh, I learned to embrace some dumb fun in the mix, too, and I've loved games more ever since. That's I like great. that story. I'm glad that that friend yeah. helped you out. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, you need a balanced diet, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of things. And I, I think that applies to all mediums, yep. you know, <laughs> like it's the, the, the comparison I always use is like, you know, uh, a nice pizzeria pizza is always good, but I'm not going to turn my nose up at a frozen pizza from time to time. Mm-hmm. Like they're different, different critters. Yeah. Uh, same thing with games. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and it's interesting the way that, you know, in this context, Metal Gear Rising is a dumb game. And when I see this kind of talked about now, or when I see, you know, echoes of this, it's more um, on an indie triple A uh, kind of continuum. Yeah. You know, where people are like, why would I ever play like a, a game with a gun in it? Mm-hmm. You know, when it can all be Tender Frog House. And it's like, well, you know, you can do both. Yeah. I think, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, Gordon says via contact. There's a lot to say about how good Revengeance's soundtrack is, but it has a special place in my heart as it has literally extended my lifetime. I'm a lazy man and struggle to make any headway into the gym. That was before I bought the soundtrack for Revengeance. Now I get onto that treadmill and load up Rules of Nature. As soon as the singer starts screaming, I start repeatedly mashing the Go Faster button <laughs> like I'm parrying the extendable electroblade of my own weakness. Uh, from that point, there's no stopping me. If there's no one else in the gym, I'll be jogging along doing imaginary katana fights by the time I've reached the stains of time. By the end, I'm metaphorically battling the bare-chested, super-powered Dick Cheney of my poor stamina, uh, but I can hold out knowing that it has to be this way will see me over the finishing line. I'm now healthier than I've been in my entire life, and owe a lot of that to the unapologetic butt rock of Jamie Christofferson. 
I also like that, that story. Cute. I'm very happy that yeah. you found uh, the secret to getting motivated at the gym. Again, review. I didn't like <laughs> exercise. It hurt and was boring. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I I'm never an extra music exercise person. Mm-hmm. I understand like get pumped mixes. Yeah, uh, I'm always a distract exercise person. Yes. Yeah. The um, uh, you know putting a, putting on a 45 minute episode of a show when you're sitting on the stationary mm-hmm. bike. Yeah. Yeah. I can under I can understand if I was more of that kind of person this soundtrack would probably work for me mm-hmm. in terms of that. Yeah. Uh but it's real cool that you found something that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh yeah. Moonborn writes via contact in the Revengeance episode, Cole mentioned that Astral Chain is basically a successor to uh Metal Gear Rising. Uh this is only partially true. I say this not to at you, uh, but to share the rest of the truth because I think it's quite interesting. Astral Chain, uh, in fact, uses both mechanics and assets for multiple games in Platinum's catalog. There's a modified version of Blade Move, uh, Blade Mode from Revengeance, a QTE prompt for special attacks in the middle of combos uh, from Transformers Devastation, and a multitude of recycled animations, Revengeance, Near Automata, and many others. Uh, there's even a dog familiar uh, that practically wholesale uses Blade Wolf's wireframe and attack animations, including his howl from the boss fight. Uh, read cynically, uh, and being perfectly honest, realistically, this was done to cut costs on what was supposed to be Platinum's, um, uh, to, on what was supposedly Platinum's most ambitious game. Uh, but read more generously, uh, it is like a celebration of Platinum's history. P.S. Kind of cheating, but uh, by including this in their revenge response, but few things make me happier than Agent Forty Seven or than Gary's Agent Forty Seven impression. Thank you, Moon. Yeah, yeah, um, good I, to know. I like the version uh, that I initially said, which is Agent 47's Gary impression, uh, which implies that 47 <laughs> yeah. has been playing the long game to get close to me. <laughs> he, uh, he 100% has. Yeah. It's really strange every time I see you, uh, you don't recognize that I've lost 100 pounds in all my hair. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just too polite yeah. to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. It's very, you know, like, and also that kind of rapid and intense weight loss, that can only be, you yeah, know, concerning. You're, it's, you're really riding the lightning with it when you compliment something like that. Yeah. It's, it's none of my you business know? and the hair yeah. and the hair loss. I, could, I just figure yeah, it's sad, you, you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like you, you could, you could really step on a rake. Yeah. Be like, man, you've lost like 110 pounds. You lost all your hair. Good job, buddy. <laughs> just, uh, I'm just, we've got work to do. It's fine. I just, we'll just, <laughs> It's just uh, um, it, it is weird that, finally, you, that you hug me from behind with a piano wire, but you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I just I just hugging a small portion of your neck. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's my favorite part. <laughs> uh, Adam says via contact. Finally, uh, not <laughs> finally. Adam says via contact. That's that's very different sounding. It is. Adam yeah. says via contact. Finally, <laughs> uh, replaying MGR has been really an interesting demonstration for me on the difference between user interface and user experience UI and UX. The UI for the game is quite good. The interface is clear and appropriate offering a number of visual flourishes to make different elements stand out visually. Things like how the energy meter switches from blue to red when ripper mode is available and how the AR mode highlights and directs you towards points of interest. The UX of the game, however, is one of the worst I've seen for an action game, and this is largely due to how it feels to actually navigate it. Everything is far too slow and generally only wants to be interacted with when nothing else is happening. What this means is that when you pick up an item, there's a cool 
text scramble effect where the letters shuffle around before it becomes legible, which means that you can't actually read what item you picked up until about two seconds after you pick it up. AR mode will only activate if you don't have another active text prompt on the screen. If you do, you're stuck waiting and pressing the button over and over until the text prompt goes away. Toggling the item menu only works if you're standing still, so you have to bring your current combo to a screeching halt if you want to switch weapons or check on how many health items you have in reserve. Result screens linger on the screen for 15 seconds or more while you are trapped in an arbitrary arena, so you're just stuck waiting or running into invisible walls until the game stops grading you and lets you play the game again. You can't spend your upgrade points while playing, you need to exit the title screen, making you set through at least three loading times. When you unlock new moves, there's no option for a tutorial, uh, a video to show you what the move is or what it does, and the only way to look up how to, how to execute it is buried in another menu that simply shows you what buttons to press. It still doesn't show you what it looks like. These minor frictions really added up for me and just led to me not wanting to engage with any part of the game that featured a menu. This strongly discouraged me from using all items, secondary weapons, upgrades, and special moves, which is a pretty big amount of content. For me, this was a real lesson about how making menus effortless to engage with, and even an active part of the experience, like the backpack from The Last of Us, makes a dramatic impact on what parts of a game I personally want to engage with. Shout out to Hades for the slickest and most pleasing menus in recent memory. Yeah. Yeah. Very good points. Like, I... You know, I, for me, that was like a vintage problem. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, this is, this is an older game and, and, you know, having to like restart from a checkpoint to go and buy stuff, mm-hmm. you know, is just kind of the style at the time, but it doesn't yeah. make it good. And I also really rankled at waiting for it to grade me. Oh yeah. Um, I, mean, I mentioned that in the episode. I've got that highlighted yeah. here just to say like, yes, seconded. Yeah. Like I, I get it. If like, you know, the, the intended effect there probably is the anticipation like oh man i can't wait to see how well i did mm-hmm. uh and they didn't uh take into account the gamer who does not give literally any fucks about that yep um it's happening again you know the next episode we're doing is on hotline miami mm-hmm. and that also has it scores you at the end of the level yeah and like the pacing of that game is so quick that it's hard to get mad at it yeah but it is a thing where it's like man i wish i could just skip through this and just be like give me whatever grade you want this isn't real yeah i mean especially like the big list (laughs) exposure exposure door kill exposure 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 yeah yeah can take take quite a while and it's so esoteric like i ended up looking up online what those things mean Mm -hmm. you know and it's 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 kind of interesting if i was playing for score yeah you know and i was i was trying to you know have cool stylish runs mm-hmm. in that game and be aggressive but it wasn't a thing where i was really interested in how the game evaluated me yeah it's just a gene i don't have you know more and more like i want things like that to just be toggleable in a menu yep you know yeah but to, then the menu would suck to be in <laughs> but you just do it once like you do it at the yeah. beginning not true you know do you are you interested in being great in this experience or do you just want to kind of like get through it and play the combat for fun yeah you know i almost wish it was like just a like a sub option of the difficulty like you're playing yeah. on normal do you care about how well you did no okay yeah you gotta play on revengeance mode if you're gonna if you're trying to like yeah. you know make an accomplishment out of this yeah so yep. yeah good points good points all um and that's that's everything um yeah thanks I mean, everybody thank you very much good responses good questions all of that uh, now it is time to reveal what we are t- uh, talking about in the future. Well, first, we're going to say, if you have anything to say about June's games, mm-hmm. uh, hit us up at duckfeed.tv slash contact. And those games are, as mentioned, Hotline Miami, The Witness, 
and Super Mario 3D World. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, go to duckfeed.tv slash content. Like Gary said, if you have thoughts about multiple games, uh, please be sure to break them out into multiple responses. Also, um, try and keep things uh, on the brief side. That helps us out mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and July's games, uh, we've got cool stuff here. Uh, the first I'm game that we are, the first game that we are doing in uh, July is one that we've gotten a lot of uh, requests for. We're talking about Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big, big year for like open world, big mm-hmm. year for puzzle games, you know, like big, it's, it's kind of a, this year, you know, a lot of concentration mm-hmm. of, uh, of stuff. Uh, this is a patron request from Doug. Um, I'm looking forward to it because a lot of people have told me I would like this game as mm-hmm. a bow cuck, <laughs> uh, somebody who likes bows. Yeah. Um, and the, the way we're structuring this month is interesting too, because it's like a big spicy meatball and then two little side salads and then a spicy meatball. Yes. Um, after that, we're doing, <laughs> it is, it is an incredibly weird, uh, you know, like, like a salad sandwich. <laughs> um, heat signature is the next thing we're doing, Yeah, which is a patron request. I've not played that, but I am interested in it. It's the people who made gunpoint, mm-hmm. uh, which is an indie game that I like quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and that will be another kind of, you know, similar to roller coaster tycoon or hotline Miami, something where it's a little shorter of an episode where we discuss the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we're trying to fit more of that kind of stuff into the game, into the show, because we want to be able to do things like Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah. And fit that in as well. Yeah. Um, after that, another uh, kind of bite-sized one, as we leave room to prepare for for, for bigger, spicier things, uh, we're going to be talking about The Stanley Parable. Yes. Uh, the Indie Darling. Mm-hmm. About, uh, you know what it is to be controlled in a video game. Yeah. And one of the, uh, you know, comedy games don't always work. Yep. Uh, Stanley Parable is very funny. It's very funny. And a lot of the comedy is expressed through play. So, yeah. And then finally, uh, kind of doubling as a vanity pick from me and also a patron pick, because mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, just because it's something I've wanted to get on the schedule. Our premium episode for that is Prey. The yes. 2016 Prey. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is something I've wanted to visit on the show for a long time. Uh, might be my favorite opening in a video game. Oh, it's amazing. The, yeah, the wham moment that might be, I think the best, you know, opening Uh in the game. Um, yeah. So that's going to be our premium. Everybody gets the generalities on that. Um, patrons will get the whole episode. Uh, if you would like to hear that whole episode and all the back ones, including your next month's 3d world episode Mm -hmm. and that last revengeance episode we just did, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash duckfeed TV. Yeah. Um, and generally that is the best way to support us. You get a whole bunch of extra content in addition to the full versions of those episodes. Um, if you are listening to this and you haven't done so go and take a look, uh, because Mm -hmm. there may, um, in fact, I would say there definitely are hours and hours of content awaiting you. Yeah. It's also, uh, when you're there, you can, you know, we talk about episodes being sponsored. Um, we have like one or two slots this year Mm -hmm. left. We are, we are almost full up for 2021. So if that's something you're interested in, um, you can hit us up there at that tier. Also, this is a mild, like, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. If something happened and you have sponsored that, that tier and I've not reached out to you, ping me on there. Yeah. Uh, especially if you, what's happened is you've, you sponsor us at that and then you've decided to do it again Yeah. because Patreon is not always good about giving us a heads up. If somebody, you know, goes to a tier and then reduces their tier and then goes back up to the tier. Yeah. It doesn't always tell us. So we'll, we'll make it right. Uh, you know, 1000%, but also I'm not perfect and I'm going through some shit. So <laughs> ping me, yeah. uh, there and we'll, we'll make it right. Yeah. 
So whatever that looks like, either you know we have some slots left this year, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, we can give up. I, I can give up a vanity slot, or we can, uh, you know, refund or do an early twenty twenty two. If you're cool with that, we'll figure mm-hmm. it out. Yeah, but we we will make it right. Please do. So yeah, um, I think that's about it. Think so. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. We appreciate you very much, and we'll be back in a week with uh, Hotline Miami. We will. Umbasa. Umbasa. Mm-hmm.